Good morning, this is the JVS Show. I'm Ian Lee, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who's on a nice holiday somewhere nice and warm, so good luck to him. On the big phone in this morning, I'm asking, do you want to be in or out of the European Union? David Cameron will update the Commons later on, the, later on the recent European Union summit. It's likely to focus on whether the Prime Minister will hold a referendum on Britain's relationship with the EU. He had ruled it out, but now says he'll consider it in the future. The Conservative MP, George Eustace, who used to be a member of the Eurosceptic party UKIP, said David Cameron is taking the right approach. The point I think he's really making is that before we have a referendum, we need to do that renegotiation. And I agree with that, because I think the majority of people in this country don't want to leave the EU altogether, and they certainly don't want to join the Euro and sign up for the further integration. And if we're going to have a referendum, we've got to give people the choice they really want, and that is to actually stay in the EU, but under new terms. Well, do you agree with that? That most of us here in the UK don't want to leave the EU? Today I'm asking, do you want to be in or out of the European Union? Whatever your story, I'd like to hear it. Perhaps you think that it's better that we're part of the EU. We benefit from it through enhanced trade links, and those links will be broken if we left. Or maybe you think we have the raw end of the deal. We end up paying out millions to help other parts of the EU when we're struggling ourselves. Or perhaps you're relieved that David Cameron is finally saying he'll consider a referendum. The sooner the UK can make its real feelings known, the better. So, today I'm asking, do you want to be in or out of the European Union? On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the way this works is I sit here and talk, and you hopefully phone me up. Otherwise, we don't have much of a show. So do give me a call, 08459 455 555. You can also text me, um, text 81333, 81333. Start your text 3CR, CR, 3CR, yes, that's correct, isn't it? Or, Jonathan has let me use his email. So you can email me, jvsshow at bbc.go.uk. If you send him anything a bit personal, don't send it, because I'll get to see it, and that would be highly inappropriate. Now, on the line, we should have Richard in Bedford. Good morning, Richard. Uh, good morning, Ian. How are you doing? You're right. Very well, thank you. Now, are you a fan of Europe? Well, not as it's set up or not, no. Why? I, I voted to um, be part of a trading bloc, not to be politically run by Europe. Yeah. So if it's a straight uh, vote, in or out, then I'm afraid we have to come out. But won't we lose the trading benefits? Well, no, not at all, because um, we import far more from Europe than we export. Yeah. So therefore, they won't want to lose that trade. We're always going to trade. But we are a nation that trades worldwide. You know, we have a whole world of trading, and we should be free to do exactly that. But in the in the in the world of trade, though, uh, uh, Richard, we're we're small fry, aren't we? No, Compared well, to, to well, China and well, America, well, we, st- we but, but we still trade. You know, yeah. and, and um, that doesn't really come into it. We trade with China, we trade with America, the American bloc. It is a terrific, um, you know, trading area that we already make a lot of money. So it's scaremongering to say that we're going to lose that. We're not going to lose that. Um, it's wrong. And, you know, it's illegal to be, have transfer of power to Europe. Sorry? It's illegal to have Westminster's powers transferred to Europe. There's a law stating ha- quite clearly. Go on. Well, in the English Bill of Rights of 1686, I know it's old, but it's still on the statute book. Yeah. It's, um, parliamentary procedures should not be transferred uh, to any other place. Yeah. 
and that clearly states that. I've got it in writing. But there's, but there's a law that says you can shoot a Scotsman in York with a bow and arrow, but it doesn't mean well, that well, it... Yeah, yeah, well, but, yeah but this, this is to protect um, Westminster's um, parliamentary, Parliament's power against other people running us. And that law should have been repealed before powers were given away. And I want to know why this has not been picked up and not been sorted. How do the laws that are made in Europe... What laws in Europe affect you specifically, Richard? Well, well, it's not a question about what laws are made. It's a question of Westminster and my Parliament having the power to make the laws that I vote people into to have those powers. And, And I'm not voting in the Commission... They are self-regulating. It is. It's all. It's all wrong. And I'm totally. But so there are that. no. There are no specific laws you can think of that Europe have decreed that no, affect no, no, that no, impact no, on your life negatively. No, not. Not. Um, not offhand. I can't. No. But well, it's the principle of of somebody else running this country when the vast majority of people today have not had a vote in saying one way or the other they want to be governed by somebody else. But you've. But you've. We're we're not being governed by somebody else, though, are we, really? Of course we are. The vast majority of of the um, rules and regulations coming down now are being rubber-stamped by Westminster. It's becoming a big big council rather than a parliament. But, Richard, I'm going to push you on this slightly. If none of them are affecting you adversely or in a negative way... Well, they are affecting me, aren't they? Well, but negatively... Well, they're affecting me in the sense that I'm voting for my MP to go to Parliament to help yes. run this country, yes. and the powers are being transferred for somebody else to do it. I'm not voting for my MP to, um, you know, to, to do that. OK. But, you, but you, yet you don't disagree with any of the laws that have been passed down? Well, I'm going to have to go into that now. I'm sure I would do it. Well, I disagree with any laws being passed down from Strasbourg that affects this country. I okay. want the laws to be set by our law laws and not have a higher authority overrule our top law laws. But in a way, Richard, uh, uh, you have voted for this. Did you say that you voted... I voted for um, an ec- economic union, EEC, I voted for. Yeah. Tra- it was sold to us as a trading bloc. It wasn't sold to us as a political giant that it's become. Okay. And that's where we need a referendum for the people to well and truly sort this out. Because you... I'm sure the vast majority of people don't like this, because every time there's, there's, you know, it's talked about, yeah. and the papers go into it, and the vast majority don't want it. It's about 80% well, that don't it, want it. 80%? And where's that figure from? Well, I've seen it they're written down okay. through the various newspapers. Um, Do you think that our uh, maybe the people who are against Europe are perhaps slightly more vocal and a bit louder. Well, yeah, because we've got a lot to say. Th- th- those yeah. that want it are keeping quiet. But I want, I want this issue of, it, of the legality of it um, okay. being brought up, because it's wrong. You cannot um, break the law like that and just pass powers away to um, another party. Um, it's, it clearly says that the parliamentary procedures cannot or should not, it says, should not be transferred to another place. Richard? That was set up to protect Parliament, and it's, it's, it's oh, treason. Yes. It's treason. It's treason. Now, Richard, there we go. Thank you very much. Richard uh, in Bedford saying that uh, it, it is treason to hand over so many powers uh, to Europe. I don't I'm not quite... You can still be hung for treason. I think, can't you? That would be terrible. Uh, Linda Jack is a former European candidate for the Liberal Democrats. Good morning, Linda. Hi, Darian. How do you... What do you think about Europe? Should we be in or out? Well, um, I'm very clear that we should be in. Um, that doesn't mean I'm against a referendum of some sort. And I've, yeah. I've always actually supported the idea that you would have an in-out referendum um, because people have called for it for ages. I think that the issue at the moment is that, and I think even those people that want 
uh, an in-out referendum, except that now's not the time when you're in such turmoil. Um, it's a bit like people getting divorced after one very angry row. You know, sort of yeah. stand back a bit, let's wait till the dust settles. But we are being hit by the fallout, and the fallout's going to go on for years, isn't it? Fallout, but I can tell you, the fallout will be a lot worse if we suddenly pulled out. I mean... How? How would it, would it be, what, in what way would it be worse? I, I think that, that you know, that we have a huge problem, economic problem, um, that's affecting us all. And a lot of that is created by instability. As soon as you get more and more instability, it creates more of a problem and more of a panic in the market. So I think that's why... Um, the government, and I would agree with them on this, I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but <laughs> um, are actually wise to say, well, look, let's not create even more uncertainty. Let's say we'll put this on hold until things settle down. Do because you think... we'll all be affected by and You know, we're, we're be, whether we are in the, EU, the um, euro or not, we are still being affected by a lot of the decisions. Do you think that people know enough to vote sensibly and and thoughtfully i don't i'm i read up about this i don't think i know enough to decide yes or no well no and i think i mean for me one of the advantages and why it was always lived in policy to have an in-out referendum is that we would have to discuss it as a country and we would have to know what we were talking about so all this nonsense about you know that ukip spout about for example like 75 percent of our laws are made over in um uh, in Europe w- would be challenged and people would look at, you know, what were the advantages and what were the disadvantages of being part of Europe. That's not to say yeah. that I don't agree that there are areas that really need renegotiation, um, the common agriculture policy, the issue with, um, you know, having two seats of Parliament, which costs everybody a lot of money, which is ridiculous. But, that, but you know, you need to do that within a context of stability and you also need to do it, as you say, with knowing the, the answers. Now, one of the things that slightly concerns me over the last couple of days with the debate is that there's a kind of chat that it's not going to be about in and out, it's going to be about a a range of things. You cannot have a complicated referendum. A referendum needs to be as simple as possible so people know exactly what they're voting for. And also, it's it's not going to happen in this parliament, is it, this government? No, I mean, it it, it won't happen um, at all. And, And actually, I've just been reading an article by Tim Montgomery, who's one of the um, the, the Tories kind of leading exponents about coming out of the EU, who doesn't want an EU referendum, in and out referendum, because he thinks that they might lose it. Um, so, you know, I think once you actually put, put all the facts to people um, and look at, you know, we, we are not, well, we are an island, but... Well, um, yes, we are, literally we, an island. We're literally an island, but, you know, it, it, politically and globally, we are part of a, a global economy... And actually, being part of Europe gives us a lot more power than how much, we're out of it. How much does it cost us to be in Europe? Well, there's all sorts. I mean, I, you know, all, all of the the arguments. I think um, you could probably think it's about 15 million a day or whatever it costs. But I think you have to, you know, whatever. But are they whatever right to say? Uh, when you say UKIP in a disparaging way, are they right to say it's 50 million I, I a day? Think that, you know, I mean, I, I can't give you the exact figure of what it what it costs. I think because the other problem is it's it's. You're it's, a European candidate. I would have thought you would have known. <laughs> That was that was in 2008, so I would have had all the fingers at the tip okay. of my fingertips then. Yes. Um, but, sorry, 2009. But, um, if, it, know, if it is 50 million a day, yeah. that's a lot of money, isn't it? Think, of, how, not, think of the hospitals and the schools we could yeah. build. But also, you have to look at what is, you know, the advantage to us and what you gain by being part of it. Because if you, if you think about it, there's two issues for me. One is, some of that money comes back, and now there is, there is an argument which I think needs exploring about... You know, you give the money and then it comes back. What's the point of that? And we've, you know, people in Bedfordshire, <laughs> you know, b- people in Bedfordshire have, have gained massively. In Luton and Bedford, there's been loads of projects. I was involved in projects in, in Bedford. Where give me, give me one project where, where they've, they've benefited. Get, where the, um, in, in, in Bedford, the SRB project, 
that was run in, in Queen's Park. What was that? Regeneration, the Regeneration Project. That was all European money. Um, but if we weren't paying the £50 million a day, and we kind of, you know, assuming that you keep it right yes. on this, then we could afford to do all of those things anyway, couldn't we? You, you could, but, you, but this, you're missing my second point. Okay. My second point is that, you know, people should remember where the European Union came from, and it came as an attempt to stop Europe ever going back to war again. Yep. Because the, the notion was, and it started, as you probably know, with France and Germany, the notion was, is if you trade together, then you're less likely to go to war together. Um, so you, you look at what we're trying to do, which is to actually create more stability in the long run in, in Europe. So hence bringing in the Eastern European countries mm. in a way that then means they're part of the club. When you're part of a club, you're much less likely to fight with that, the club. That, that may be so, where so it, it's in our long-term well, economic interest. For, for that to happen. Exactly. Now, that may, that's, a, that's a good point to say that, that it, it was it, there was uh, born from a place of trying to create peace, but it's not really yeah. about that anymore, though, is it? You're, it? It is about money. But you, you're talking about stability, and you're talking about stability in the wide... You look at the Balkans, you look, you know, which, who are now the Balkan states wanting to be part of Europe. You look at what's happened sort of in, in um, you know, the... Um, Poland and some of the other countries which have, which have come in, yeah. you know, it's actually created much more stability for them as a country. And so while we might sit, resent the fact that our money is going there, we are, you know, we, we cannot be isolationist in this. And I think that what people need to remember, if we did pull out of Europe, we would still be subject to many of the, uh, the laws in order to be able to trade. We'd be subject to the laws w- without being part of it. So when we say, oh, Europe's telling us to do this, well, we are Europe. We're, po- we're at the table. We need a seat at the table. If we don't have a seat at the table, we have no say in what goes on. And, you know, I think if you look at... You, you imagine now with some of the, d- the discussions and debates that are going, out, uh, going on, if we weren't part of that and able to put our, our view, whether I agree with Cameron or not, I think it's very important that we have our, our politicians at the table. Linda, thank you very much. Linda Jack is a former European candidate for the Liberal Democrats. What do you think, dear listener? Do you agree? Do, should we be in or should we be out? It's a simple question. I'm not sure if I were presented with a referendum, yes or no, that I know enough to make a decision. Surely, if you voted, you'd be voting with your heart and not your head. And is that the right way to make a decision? That's why I vote for people to be in Parliament, so they can make these decisions for me. You can give me a call if you want, 08459 455 555. Be nice to get your views on this, because I, you know, I remember years ago, I was kind of all up for the euro. I was like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get rid of pounds and pence. We moved on from pounds, shillings and pence. Thank God, imagine doing that now. Uh, and let's bring on the euro. I guess I'm, I'm relieved that we didn't take that up. We would have been in an awful mess now. But what do you think? 08459 455 555. We've got Alan in Bletchley. Hello, Alan. Morning, Ian. Morning, Alan. What can I do for you? Well, the, 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 the answer is very simple, really. We should just get out of Europe wow. and stay out. And I think that's the, the opinion of the majority of people well, in this country. Well, the, now, listen, you, Richard uh, said this earlier on, that he thinks mm. the majority of people... Where do you get that impression from? Well, if you read the papers, Ian, you'll know that it's something like 80%. But, where, again, where does that 80% come from? The sun? <laughs> Because there are certain papers that want to be out. There are some that kind of want to be in. But I'm, they've, I, done, they've done surveys, haven't they? And you must know that. Well, so, I know, but I've not heard this figure of eighty percent. That's why I'm questioning well, it. Well, I mean, you haven't heard it, but you should have read it if you read the newspaper. Okay, I haven't read it. That's why I'm questioning. It. What, what newspaper was it in? Well, I can't say, but it's the majority of people okay. in this country, isn't it? Well, it is if it's true. But as I haven't seen well, the figure, true, I have. Uh, well, I don't know. As <laughs> I haven't seen the figure, I have to question it. And that's why I'm asking you about it, and that's why I'm asking you what paper it's from, and you don't know 
or paper it's from. So I have to have a question mark by it. You don't know what paper it is anyway, Ian, obviously, because you're not even reading it. You've never even heard of the figure. Well, no, I... Well, no. Other people have heard of the figure, and you haven't. Well, no, you're the one... No, be, be careful, Alan. You're the one that's giving the figure to me. That's why I'm questioning it. Uh, well, I'm simply saying to you that the majority of people in this country, okay. from the surveys made, okay. written in papers that you haven't read, is, yes. is the vast majority. I do read a lot of newspapers, Alan, probably more than you do. Well, you think so, anyway. Hey, carry on, Ian. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know where this attitude has come from all of a sudden, Alan. I, I, I've only been in the show for 20 minutes. I know you're upset that Jonathan's not here. He'll be back well, next week. You're simply saying to me what newspaper, and I can't tell you this newspaper. Well, then... The, 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 probably the Daily, the daily uh, Mail, I should have Okay, so you're, you're giving me a figure, but you don't know where it's from. That's all I'm asking. But carry on, then, Ian. Well, no, I just ha- I have to question the figure if it's given. If you don't know where it's from, that does throw a slight question mark over it, doesn't it? You'd agree I with that? I think so, but no, I don't agree with you at all, no. Okay, that's disappointing. Looks like we're not going to agree on very much, Alan, which is a shame. Uh, so why, wh- why should we be out? What don't you like about Europe? Well, first, before we had the European Union that was existing as, uh, as, um... As it is, we traded with the world quite happily, right. no problem at all, and we didn't sign up to the EU. What the, what this country signed up for was a common market. Okay, the why should we be out? That's the question. Why should we Why should we be out? Forget history. What's happening now that you don't like that that, that you want us to get out for? Um, what I want to get out for is because we have um, France and Germany, in particular Germany, uh-huh. that he's having. Yes, I'm not not anti-German. No, no, and that doesn't make me anti-Europe. No doesn't make me anti-trading with France. No. What I want are independent countries. I want the France to be France with its franc. I want Germany with its Deutschmark, whatever the Phoenix. I want the, 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 the EU to be a trading partner without the intervention of, of bureaucrats and Brussels that are trying to dominate other governments, and what? in particular this one. I, I asked this to Richard, I'm going to ask you, Alan, you're an intelligent man, so I know you'll be able to answer this where Richard couldn't. What laws have been passed by Europe that have affected you negatively? Um, well, I think the, um, nothing in spe- specific okay. necessarily affects me as a, my personal life, except that right. the, for example... We have foreign murderers in this country who have murdered people over here, what? but are, are, are not deported because the European law say they can stay because they have the human rights of retaining their family. Right. But that's just one. W- where, where are these foreign murderers? <laughs> Why are you asking these strange questions? Well, no, what I'm just I'm trying are, to get the thing is up without mean, naming where names. Are these murderers? What, what do you mean? How do I know where these murderers are? Well, Alan, listen, you're giving me information that I am unaware of <laughs> and that I think could be based on myth, and I'm just trying to I get the specifics. Believe, Ian, I can't believe that you haven't read the papers or the news yeah. with, with murderers who have uh, often illegally in this country. Right. If they were illegally in this country, they would be deported. They're not deported. Illegal immigrants, uh, if they are caught and captured, yes, they're deported. People claiming political yeah, asylum not. are not deported, and no, you'd agree not. that that's a good thing, wouldn't you? We, say that again, Ian. That people who are here claiming political asylum uh, or escaping persecution, we, we welcome those with open arms, don't we? Sh- shouldn't we? Well, that's if they are. That's actually, if that is true, yes. what they're saying, isn't it? Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and we know very well that the, the, um, the you know, the, the, the immigration department has completely bodged up everything, okay. which is why we've got such a huge okay. increase in immigration, because it's out of control. Because, once again, the MPs and the people in power say, don't worry, vote for us, we'll do this, we'll do that. And in the end of the day, they don't do anything. They just simply completely 
you know, make a complete and utter mess of what they're doing. Alan, it's been a pleasure sparring with you this morning. Thank you very much. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. Give me a call. Do you agree with Alan? The reason I was being specific about those figures is because I hadn't seen those uh, 80% of people are against being in Europe. And um, I, I, I wanted to kind of d- just find out exactly where they were from. It says it over here on my screen that the ICM poll said that 70% of voters want to vote on Britain's EU membership, which is different to 80% of the population want to be out of Europe. Now, if you've got those figures there, the 80%, if you can quote what paper it's from and what survey, 08459 455 555, because I would like uh, to, uh, to hear them and, and, and get a grip with them. This is Ian Lee filling in for uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who's having a lovely time somewhere. Uh, now, oh, this is exciting. Uh, next Monday, the Olympic torch concludes its journey across the three counties. After a very early start in Luton, the torch makes its way through Dunstable and on to Milton Keynes. It's then on to Bletchley, Buckingham and Winslow. After Whitchurch, the torch will make its way through Aylesbury, Stoke Mandeville and then on to Waddesdon. And we'll be there so you don't miss a thing. We are your Olympic station, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the exciting thing for me is, uh, is I'm going to be doing breakfast next week for a few weeks. Jonathan's back next week, so don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, but then I'm doing breakfast for a few weeks, taking over from the marvellous David Priever. And my first show on breakfast is, uh, is, is watching the torch being carried around. How do people run with the torch? First of all, I ca- last night, right, I thought I was getting a little bit podgy, so last night I was in the house on my own. I thought I'm going to do some sit-ups and some press-ups. I did ten sit-ups and ten press-ups and was bathed in sweat and was, I was out of it. Seriously, I was totally out of it. So I'm thinking, I know they don't run far, but running with people watching you whilst holding a fiery torch... That's got to be exhausting, hasn't it? I'm looking forward to that. I wasn't... Do you know what? A while ago, I wasn't that keen on the Olympics. I was like, yeah, whatever. But as it's getting closer, I'm getting, I'm getting really caught up in the excitement of it. I'm really looking forward to seeing the torch. I'm going to try and get some tickets this afternoon for the Paralympics. Take my little boy along to have a look at that. It's all exciting times. Uh, this is Ian Lee filling in for uh, JVS. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We've got Sid in Kimpton. Hello, Sid. Oh, good morning. Good morning, good morning Sid. Yeah. yeah. What can I do for you? Do you think we should be in or out of the EU? Well, personally, I would love to come out. Why? Well, because it wasn't what um, we was... Uh, when we were given a referendum back in the 70s... When was it? About 71, 72? Yeah, it was around that time. Um, I know Heath, Heath was uh, Prime Minister at the time, I right. believe. And, uh, but it was for the common market that yeah. we signed up for. Yeah. Um, we signed up for that, and, and lo and behold, mate, everything went pear-shaped. But <laughs> I love the phrase pear shape. Do you know where the phrase pear shape comes from? Well, probably from the shape of a bear, I should think. Well, it does. It's when, if you jumped out of an aeroplane with a parachute and the oh. parachute didn't open, it would go pear shaped. Oh, yeah. It's a water. Anyway, well, what, so what has gone wrong? What in your well, eyes has gone wrong? In my eyes, first of all, we lost all the, We gave up our fishing rights now, so therefore we lost the fishing industry. Um, yep. the, the EU budget is in the red every year. Yep. It's never been passed. Now, I ask you, if you belong to a club yeah. where you put in 50 quid a year, yeah. and every year you went there to get some money out, and there was uh, and there was 30% of it was gone, would you continue paying in? Uh, well, this is the thing that, that concerns me, is that we do pay, uh, uh, if only it were 50 quid a year, yeah. Sid, wouldn't that be well, better? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm... That's just an analogy. Yeah. I'm talking more like 50 million a day. Well, this is what... Again, I'd love someone to find out the statistics on this, and if I'd bothered to do any research on this topic, I, I, I would have that for you. Uh, but you're right. If, if you're paying in that much money, it just does seem a lot of money that we could be spending yeah. elsewhere. And yet, and yet, you know, as I say, we, yet we never have enough cash yeah. for arguments for uh, three 
care for the elderly, yep. where they have to sell their homes. Don't tell me about that. I've had to do that for your mum, yeah. We used to have three university places years ago. Yep. That, that doesn't occur anymore. We, you know, and we just, our armed forces, they're not treated particularly well when they come out of the forces. Yep. We see the cases where they've got a, a few new places, but generally um, speaking, um, it doesn't happen. And yet, um, as I say, and, and yet we, we, we're giving billions to Europe. Sid, listen, thank you very much. 08459 You talk about um, old people having to sell their homes for care. My mum, she's not particularly old, but she's not very well. And we had to sell her home to pay for her care. She pays, get this, £1,300 a week. A week until our savings drop below £23,000. Absolutely incredible. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Europe. Do you want to be in or do you want to be out? This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's the JVS Show. I'm Ian Lee, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who's off on a swanky holiday somewhere. After 11, I'll be looking at your consumer problems and going back to speak to Emma. Now, Emma told us about her consumer problem involving a new phone line she had installed last December. The engineers keep coming around and did a lot of... Normally, when they lay a cable, you know, they will put it down about a foot it's deep. It's about a half an inch, though. You, can, you basically can lift a thing up with your finger. I'm looking forward to this. I was, I was in the car listening to this and thinking... Oh, I hope I get to cover that story, and I do. Emma has been having problems with her phone line being dug up from her front garden as it's not been buried deep enough. She and her partner have been left for days without a phone. Now the company is saying that they might terminate Emma's contract as it's costing them too much to keep repairing and relaying the cable. What's happened? Well, we'll find out later. And after ten, I'll be asking, does dyslexia have to hold you back? Almost two-thirds of parents with dyslexic children say their child had to wait a year for help after being diagnosed. The charity Dyslexia Action carried out a survey which said 90% of teachers lacked awareness of the condition. It wants dyslexia training for all teachers and a national dyslexia and literacy strategy included in the government's special needs reforms. I'm going to be talking to Margaret from Bedford. Her son Richard has dyslexia and says if she hadn't known the right people at the right time, he could have been severely let down by the system. He's gone on to make a success of himself, and I'll be hearing his story and asking, does dyslexia have to hold you back? We'd love to hear from you about that. But right now, it's back to the big phone-in. One of the Conservative Party's leading Eurosceptics, the former Defence Secretary Liam Fox, is to call for negotiations now on a looser relationship between Britain and the European Union. The Prime Minister will face further questions about his position on a referendum when he makes a statement over last week's EU summit. Over the weekend, the Prime Minister promised to consider, consider being the operative word, holding a referendum on Europe at some point in the future. Previously, he'd always ruled it out. What? Well, a seeming change of heart from David Cameron. Uh, but has the issue always been clear-cut for you? Do you want to be in or out of the European Union? I was saying earlier, I don't think I know enough to vote a straight yes or a straight no. There are benefits and there are... Mi- I kind of think the, uh, the, the economic migration, the workers travelling around Europe, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Hasn't it? We get cheaper work over here. We're allowed to move over to other countries as well and seek work. Or is it a bad idea? Are you completely against that? Do you think that, that having uh, all these workers from all around Europe coming over here and doing cheaper jobs, that that is where the problem is? 08459 455 555. You can text me as well. I like reading texts. 81333 if you start your text 3CR. Uh, you can email using Jonathan's 
private email address, which he, uh, I don't know if he knows I have access to, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. We've got Petros Fasilus, uh, is the chairman of the European Movement in the UK. Good morning, Petros. Good morning, Eric. What, do, what, does, what is the European Movement? It's a um, cross-party, grassroots organisation that is trying to inform the debate around the benefits of EU membership. We, we're trying to counterbalance a little bit the myth and the lies that come from the tabloid press and make the case that the UK stands to benefit by being a member of the European Union. Uh, I was kind of talking about this with some of the callers earlier on, that that it does seem that a lot of our um, position on Europe comes from newspapers, and quite often you read these stories and you you look deeper into the story and there isn't actually any substance to it. It's just a, this could happen, this may happen, but it hasn't happened. This is indeed the fact. We do a lot of research on on the stories that come out, and we often talk with the EU institutions, the government, and very rarely there is any remit at all on the claims made. And that's the unfortunate fact. Um, I would love to have a constant debate around what it means to be a member of the European Union during local elections, national elections, and of course European elections. I would like the politicians to go out there and talk with the electorate talk to the people and address the concerns they have. But unfortunately, that never happens, and the debate only takes place on the front pages of tabloid papers. And we, we have seen what is going on with the Leverson inquiry, yep. the kind of agenda tabloid press is pushing forward. With. OK, well, let's look into that. Pe- Petros, well, give us... Uh, we've had uh, some people phoning up today saying they want out, out of Europe. Give us the good points about being in Europe. Why does it benefit us? First of all, it gives us the opportunity to be part of a market of 500 million customers. That generates thousands of jobs and millions in profit for British business. Also, it reduces legislation. When a British exporter wants to take his goods or her goods in Europe, he or she doesn't have to comply with 27 different sets of legislation. There is only one rule that applies across Europe, making it cheaper and easier to actually trade. Well, listen, one of the... Let me, sorry, let me try. We'll come back in a second. One of the callers earlier on said that we trade... We get more of our trade with other countries anyway, like, Indi- uh, like China and America. Of course, of course, and China, America, India, Brazil have uh, more interest to negotiate a deal that suits when we sit across the table as 27 member states rather than just one. The, the EU just negotiated a trade with South Korea, a trade deal with South Korea, that is going to benefit UK businesses in the tune of hundreds of millions. And we wouldn't be able to achieve the same terms if we sat there as a market of 60 million. Now we're a market of 500 million. This people really want to trade with the whole of Europe and they give us what we want because we are together and we are stronger together. OK, the line's breaking up a bit. We'll stick with this a bit longer, Petro. So what, what, give us a couple of other benefits for us to be in Europe, in the EU. Well, uh, look, look around uh, what's going on in Syria, in Iran. Uh, it's interesting to hear Mr. Haig, um, a Eurosceptic, actually praising what the EU is doing in those two countries. And again... Britain, Germany, France, on their own, they wouldn't have been able to put pressure on those regimes to do what is right. As a collection, as a club of nations, we can do much more on foreign policy well, to increase their status. We, have, we haven't done much with Syria, have we? They're just ignoring everything we say. Well, be, be assured that we wouldn't be anywhere if we were trying to put pressure no. on them individually. Uh, and we are in a position to exert that influence because we come together as a group. Our American friends want us very much to remain engaged in the European Union, not because they have any personal vested interest, but because they know that the EU is a stronger actor with Britain in it, and they can get more out of it. OK, now we haven't had this argument yet, but I have heard this elsewhere. We've got all these Polish builders coming over here, nicking our jobs... Now, I don't particularly have a problem with that, because I think they do an excellent job and they charge a great rate, but how would you argue against that? 
But I do believe that having an open market where labor can move around is a good thing. It gives us the opportunity to also go abroad and look for jobs when conditions over here are bad. As you also mentioned, it increases the quality of skills that come into the country. Yep. Improves competition. But it is true that we have to look into how employers remunerate those workers and making sure that they don't bring down the prices of labor to benefit themselves. There are, there are issues there that we can address, but we cannot just chop an arm when it hurts you. You feel it. An immigration policy is a good thing. We give, them about, we give the EU about 14.7 billion euros, euros a year. That's a lot I of money. Not. That could be spent elsewhere, couldn't it, Petros? That could be spent better. I'm not entirely sure where that figure comes from. It's from the, the EU fact, budget website. The, the fact of the matter is that for every uh, pound we, we put into the EU, we get as much out because very often that money creates jobs elsewhere, creates growth elsewhere, and people can buy our yeah. goods. It's also imperative, to the, what I mentioned at the very beginning, the reduction in the cost of doing business across Europe generates income for British business. Yep. Being part of the European Union, having the European Union makes doing business cheaper. And that's something we have to qualify and quantify when we calculate the cost and the benefits of being a member of the European Union. Petros, listen, I'm gonna, uh, thank you so much for your time. We're going to move because the line's not particularly good. Can I, but Petros, can I ask, whereabouts are you from? Uh, I am actually Greek, but I'm based in Britain and uh, uh, I work over here. Tikanis? Uh, Petros, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye, there we go. Uh, that's all. I, I had Greek lessons for about six months. It is the hardest language in the world. It is, it's so difficult with, with the gender changes. If, uh, it, it's, I learned Japanese. Japanese is much, much easier than Greek. Uh, 08459 We've got Anne in St Albans. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. What do you think about Europe, in or out? <laughs> out. Really? Yes. You're very definite on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do, if there were a referendum, though, do you think that we know enough to make a reasoned, informed decision? I do, because uh, we live it every day. You were asking earlier on about legislation. Yeah. Well, immediately I can spring to mind all transport legislation in this country, all of it. OK, give me, give me a specific legislation that's affected you negatively. Um, curbing driver's hours on the road, for example. Right. How has that affected you personally? Um, and different, different types of tachograph to the ones that used to, used to happen ha- before. Are you a truck you driver? You can't earn as much money. You can't earn as much money if you can't put the hours in. But surely that's a safety thing, isn't it? C- limiting the... We're talking about truck drivers, I'm assuming, are we? Way, I don't think it was particularly unsafe before. And there's no legislation to stop drive, car drivers falling asleep at the wheel. You know, it doesn't make quite any common sense. Well, no, well, it... What I'm trying to not get bogged down into that one piece of legislation, You've also got doctor's hours. Okay. The change in doctor's hours, that has really adversely affected people. L- lowering doctor's hours. Lowering doctor's hours. But again, I don't want doctors, to see... But not much cop for the patient. But Anne, I don't want to see an exhausted... Do- I've got relatives who are doctors. They work very, very long hours. Even now, they work ridiculously long hours. That can't be good for them, can it? Of course not. But the point is, they've always done it. And the health service didn't, was a better place for it. But I had a friend in hospital with yes. thousands of patients... And there was one duty doctor on uh, on for all night. For long. thousands. Do you see what I mean? For thousands of patients. When it was still going. Okay. I don't know how many patients there were in there. A thousand well, the, maybe. Can I can I just say, and this is not to have a go at you, but this is the few times this morning we have had figures that are seemingly plucked out, and I think if we are having a reasoned argument about it, we c- we can't exaggerate and we can't make up figures. I think saying thousands of patients. You can't keep 
putting people off by using that argument. What, statistics? proof that you want statistics. Well, no, but you can't, no. How many of us can yes. actually turn around and say, I've got this to back it up, I'm answering... Well, all I'm asking then, Anne, all I'm... Anne, office Anne, an interview. Anne, all I'm asking then is that you don't make up figures. That's I'm all I'm... If you haven't... figures up. You said thousands of patients to one doctor and then you said maybe well, a thousand. you said to me, how many patients does Lister Hospital hold? Can you give me half an hour while I go and ring up and no, ask? No, I'm not asking... And I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying if you don't know the figures... Please don't say them. That's all, because then it doesn't many, get us anywhere. Many patients. That's Let's better. Put it that way. Thank you. That's yes. better. That's better. Thank you. So those are just two points alone. They're trying to give, make us give up our pints. They're trying to make us walk in kilometres. Oh, they're not making miles. us give us up, up our pints. That's that's nonsense. Yes, well, we, we've had this battle. It's for nonsense. Years. Well, I don't know if they're not going to give up pints. Remember, but when the European Union, the Common Market, first started, yes. greengrocers were given cards with holes in them to pass the potatoes through the holes so that they'd get the right price. I mean, how ludicrous! Okay, is that? They're, they're, they're not going to make us give up pints. That's nonsense. And I have to go back to the doctors and the truck drivers. Surely, anything that makes the world safer. And that includes making sure truck drivers don't drive too long so they're not exhausted and, and that the doctors work less hours so they can stay focused. That has to be a good thing, doesn't it? And policemen stand at the side of a ditch watching Maybe somebody not. drown and firemen won't go up trees to get cats down. That's the health and safety legislation. I don't think firemen should be going up trees to get cats. They should be doing far more important jobs than that. Well, they used to do it and they've changed. But the, but the world is changing, Anne. It's bad. The point is that they no longer can do it because we of evolve. Health and safety. We evolve. And health. People say health and safety is a bad thing. I, I, I think for the. It does have some uh, bad rap, but I think for the most part, anything that makes our world safer, our roads and our hospitals safer, has got to be a good thing, surely. You'd agree. It's, the, 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 being safer is a good thing, isn't it, Anne? No. Thanks very much for calling. Uh, this is Ian Lee filling in for uh, Jonathan Vernon Smith. If you want to give us a call on Europe, we're talking about it for another 15 minutes, 08459455555. This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS on BBC Three Counties. Next Saturday, the Olympic torch finally gets to the Three Counties. As it makes, it makes its way from Waltham Cross to Hartford, we will be there. The torch also visits Ware and Bishop Stortford, and we'll be following it. We are your Olympic station, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, we're talking about Europe. And so far, it would seem that the majority of you who have called in, not necessarily representative of the, the whole of the, the three counties area, but the majority of you are against us being Europe. And we have had a few calls saying, get us out. We have Petros, um, who wants us to stay in, but he's kind of works for an organisation, so, you know, obviously he's going to be slightly biased. Is there anybody out there listening to this show right now I could just end that sentence there, couldn't I? And would, <laughs> would still be a valid question. Is there anybody out there who thinks it's a good idea that we are part of the EU and wants to stay in? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Be really keen to speak to you. I kind of get the impression through reading the newspapers and doing this and other phone-ins that I've done elsewhere that the anti-EU people are a little bit more vocal it seems that people who are anti-things and this is not criticism at all it's just a, a, an observation that people who are anti-things are a bit louder and you know make a bit more noise than those people who are kind of for things it's like hey i'm for you i'm for you it's fine let's just keep things as they are if you are for the eu oh eight four five nine four double five five double five, or text eight one three 
81333, sorry, 81333. Start your text 3CR. We've got Kelvin Hopkins, who is the Labour MP for Luton North, and I believe you're a Eurosceptic, Kelvin. Yes, indeed, and I have been for, for, for many years. Um, I have to distinguish between Europe and the European Union. Yes. Europe is a wonderful place, full of lots of wonderful people, wonderful countries, but the European Union is a political construct which has been imposed upon the peoples of Europe, which is rather different. Yes, I have been a little bit woolly with my, my terminology, <laughs> and I apologise, but I know that, that most people are, know exactly what I'm saying. Why are you so against uh, the EU? Well, I think one has to, has to look at what's been happening inside the Eurozone to, to realise that they've got to make a terrible mistake with their economic attempts yep. to, to, to make it into one single country governed from Brussels. Uh, I think countries work much better when they have their own currencies. Uh, they can cooperate and they can work together in a very friendly way, but they have their own currencies, can adjust them and their interest rates to their own uh, economic needs. And I think collectively, then, we'll all do much better. Uh, but there are benefits of being in Europe, aren't there? Uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously one, one is in, in, in Europe geographically, and we've always cooperated uh, since the Second World War with other European countries. And I go there for my holidays every year. It's a wonderful place full of wonderful people. But, uh, you know, the, the European Union, as I say, is a, is a construct, and yeah. there's so many things about it. First of all, the common fisheries policy is a disaster. It's seen the, the seas fished out. What we, only when countries can guard their own fish stocks will they actually get over that problem. So right. get at the common common agricultural policy the very expensive very inefficient way of dealing with farming i think every country ought to be able to look at just to their own farming needs and subsidize where and as and when okay let me let me give you a good thing about being in the eu Mm -hmm. last year i had my house done up had a loft conversion new kitchen everything i got three quotes two english companies one polish company The Polish company, uh, it was about two-thirds of the price of the cheapest English quote, and they did a cracking job. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's no doubt very, very good for you. Well, but it's uh, wonderful. We, but we have to realise that there are two, two and two-thirds million people unemployed yep. in, in Britain. The construction industry is in serious difficulty. And, uh, you know, if we, we you know, in, in a sense, we, we, we want to make sure that our own unemployed people have a crack at But then they should well. offer more reasonable quotes and a better attitude. I tell you, I, I was on another station when I did this, and I mentioned this on air, and I got a lot of criticism for not going with the English workers. So I thought, I'm going to do a compromise, OK? I needed a window built and i needed a floor laid so i thought i'm going to get the Eng- i'm going to get in- two english companies in to do this and i tell you what kelvin i wish i hadn't both of those in- those english companies british companies were awful the window was six weeks late and was the wrong size yeah. the floor the people laying the floor they turned up at half past ten in the morning left at half past three the afternoon so it took them three days to do the job that they could have done in one day the polish guys they were there at half seven in the morning some nights they left at half seven well uh, you know it, it is, it, that's very good and and uh, you know good bully for you uh, but bully you know, for me, argue, indeed. arguing from the particulars to the general the fact is that the being in the eu as yep. just the budget costs us many billions of pounds every year despite the fact that we get some some rebate because we don't benefit so much yes thatcher sorted yeah, it out didn't she but, but, the, in, indeed but so, you know the uk yeah, correction there are, there are there are always problems with in countries, I mean, Poland has its own own problems as well. Yeah. But uh, you know, poverty and, and 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 low wages is is a major problem there. But that th- these are are. are matters for particular governments. It, when it comes to the construction sector, I was very strongly in favour of local authority direct labour organisations, and many people in, this, in the industry thought that they ought to do work, the kind of private housing work you're talking about, and be publicly accountable and have 
quality control by the local authority publicly mm. accountable. I mean, I, th- I thought that was a great idea. Labour was going to do it, in fact, in the 1970s. It was stopped by the Lib Dems and the Conservatives. But, uh, you know, that, that is the sort of thing we could look at. But that's not, spe- not to do with, you know, the, the generality of being in the European Union, which, as I say, the common fisheries policy, common agricultural yep, policy, okay. uh, and, and, uh, and the general economic arrangements, which I think are disastrous. Should there be a referendum, Calvin? Well, I, th- I think there will be. I belong to a group called People's Choice, which means that we think the people of Britain ought to have a choice. A referendum, I would put a referendum down with certain key things, like the b- things I've mentioned. Um, in fact, I've been told by officials from the European Union, if we voted to come out of the European fisheries policy, for example, common fisheries policy, they would expel us anyway. But, you know... So you're sorry, you're saying you'd have a, a referendum where you put down specific things yeah, that we could opt but, out of. But that's one of the alternatives, isn't it? And, and I think... Well, giving that would the, never work, would it? Giving the in-out... Uh, you, you know, there might be a campaign by party leaders and whatever to keep us in, as it happened in 1975. Uh, um, but if we had specific things which we know are wrong and had votes on those, uh, you know, the, the common... common the, the, the uh, EU would then have the choice do they kick us out or not. If we look at Norway, look at Switzerland, look at a number of other countries outside the European Union, they're doing fairly well and there's not a problem with them and of course across the world there are all sorts of countries that have their own currencies, their own interest rates yep. and they do quite well. Is part of our problem, Kelvin, the fact that we are called Great Britain and that we still have this attitude that we're better than everyone else and that people should... We used to rule the world. We used to own America, for goodness sakes. <laughs> is, that, is that part of the problem? That we, that, that there's kind of like a, an arrogance about us. I think in the past there has been that, you know, but I think that has gone now. It's a question of whether we want to run our own economy and decide our own uh, economic arrangements um, and uh, decide how we uh, administer our fisheries, for example. Uh, the, it, and it's a question of democracy. Mm. And I, I think that arrogance has now gone. We, you know, we, we, we are not the same as we were, say, before the Falklands War, when we waved the flag and beat the Argies and all those things, which I think were very unpleasant at the time. You know, that, that attitude. Yes. Um, you know, standing up for people's freedoms is one thing, but actually, you know, being arrogant about one's past and one's empire, I think, is, is, is now very much something of the past. So I, I, I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's a sense of wanting to have one's, one, one's country under one's own democratic control, governed by our government, which is elected and we can kick out governments when we choose mm. if we don't like them you can't do that with the European Commission it goes on there's a kind of core which whatever happens in elections in different countries that the, the Commission will go on governing uh, in a, in a p- permanently Kelvin thank you very much Kelvin Hopkins is the Labour MP for Luton North he's a Eurosceptic we've got Paul on the A1 good morning Paul hello there you're oh, against no. Europe here I'm, I'm against it in its current form why um, because I think we have to have a full a full gambit of legislation and set of rules with, with regards to Europe. I think one of the major problems is, yes, we've got immigration workers coming all over all over um, Europe into the UK, but what they are doing is abusing our welfare system. So how who, how know, are they doing that? Well, they come in, they can actually claim child benefit, they can claim free health services. And these are people that aren't working. These are people who can actually just come into the country and actually use it. Now, those those benefits aren't available in every other European country. No. If you had one set, obviously, then we'd have one set of common, one set of common principles, one set of common rules, and obviously one set of common policies. I wonder how. And I don't have the figures in. I don't expect you to have the figures in the slightest. But I wonder how many people are 
actually doing that and coming over here and just sponging off the system? It'd be interesting to find out. I've got no idea. And there probably, there, there must be figures somewhere, but it will be interesting to find out if it's as bad as, um, you know, we've been led to believe. Well, obviously, if there's anybody doing that, that's not good in the slightest. But I wonder quite how much it is costing us. Yeah. I think the other side is, you know, how many people are using the European Convention of Human Rights yeah. um, and EU legislation to stay in this country. So we've just had the, the huge case of Abu Hamza. Yep. Our government cannot, the principal government, government, sovereign government of this country, cannot actually get rid of somebody who is a murderer. And it's not alleged that he is. And we can't actually get him out of the country because the court above us which we haven't duly elected, actually just decrees that... Isn't, isn't Abu Ham, is, is he not going now? I thought he was off. He was going. Um, well, you know, how much How much have we spent? That's millions and millions... But is, is he going? Um, I think he is now. Well, then, then it works, then. I know it's taken a long time, well, but we have to... Loop, this is the loophole, though, wasn't it? But it, it was, was, it was loophole, a loophole, but this is the beauty of, 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 uh, of Britain, I think, is that we do do things by the book. We don't just go, right, sling him out. We follow the law, and that's got to be an example to set to the world, hasn't it? But I think we followed our law, and our law was... We could have thrown him out five years ago, yep. six years ago. Yep. What he did was he actually went to Europe and said, no, I want to stay in this country. Now, this is a guy who actually hates this country, yeah. hates our culture, our principles, everything. And we as a government, six years ago, wanted to throw him out. But he went to an unelected body that yep. we didn't choose and actually then said, no, I want to stay in a country that actually I want to act against. I want to spread hatred. Paul, listen, I'm going to move on to we're running out of time. That. Excellent point. Well made. Thank you very much for that. He has got a point there, I suppose. There are people in the country that we don't want that don't like us, uh, and that they can stay in somehow. Let's go to uh, Marion. Good morning, Marion. Good morning. What can I've I do for you? Been, I've been avidly listening to your show, which I found terribly interesting. I'll just be mm, very quick I take brief. that as a compliment. Uh, yes. Thank um, you. What I object to most is that, that Parliament's hands are now very severely tied by Brussels and all their edicts, and I don't think that we should be controlled by them, and, and plus being asked to uh, hoist up the Union flag outside 10 Downing Street. I just think that Brussels has far too much um, coverage of our, our parliamentary laws and stuff, and, and they, they alter it just to suit themselves. We didn't elect them... To, to make laws for our parliament. Our parliament should be making our laws because that's who we voted for. But we voted for, for our parliament to give them the responsibility to do what they thought was best for us. And if they think it's best for us to be in Europe, then we go along with that, didn't we? We voted for it. No, we didn't. Well, if we um, voted we for the... promised a referendum uh, on Europe. Uh, we never got it. Do you know what? I don't think we're ever going to get one. I, I, I suspect... I think they're just sitting on the fence on that one. I suspect that being... Cameron has had a, a rough few months and he's, he's, he's thrown well, out the tough. EU referendum to make everyone go, oh, actually, maybe he's not such a bad guy. No, um, I, I think that he, they're just being placatory to say we might have a referendum. We should have one because we voted for one. Marion, listen, we're out of time. Thank you very much for calling us. Uh, interesting. There's no right or wrong answer, is there? It turns out that the, the majority of the people who've called in would rather be out of Europe. I'm not, I'm not sure. 
Uh, it's going to take a lot more looking into it to, uh, to find out exactly what I think. This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS. Coming up next, uh, we've got The Travel with Justin Peterson. Thank you very much for that. This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS. Uh, in the next hour, we're going to be talking about dyslexia. How has dyslexia affected you? As if you know someone who's got it, uh, do you have it? Has it held you back? And were you helped enough at school and at work? We'll be taking your calls uh, on the subject after this. We'll also be discussing the important issue of beards. Are you discriminated against because you have a beard? Beards are in the press as a woman's group, I think in France, is wearing beards to protest they're being unfairly treated. I'm, I'm giggling, dear listener, because I'm in a new studio and I keep going to do the wrong fader. And if, if I hit the fader I was aiming for, you would have heard something completely uh, inappropriate. Good morning! It's the JVS Show with me, Ian Lee, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. After, il- after 11, I'll be looking at your consumer problems and I'll be talking to Nikki. Nikki came to us with a consumer problem regarding a three-year-old mattress. This mattress we just purchased is sinking on the size six inches. How much did you spend on this mattress? £812 I extend warranty, £35, and on the mattress, it says 10-year guarantee. So, is this fair wear and tear? What's happened to the mattress, and is it covered under the 10-year warranty? But in this hour of the programme, does dyslexia have to hold you back? A report says that almost two-thirds of parents with dyslexic children say they have to wait at least a year for help after being diagnosed. The charity Dyslexia Action says the results from parents suggest that 90% thought teachers lacked awareness of the condition. The government said early support for dyslexic pupils was vital. Now, if you or someone in your family has it, you'll know that getting support as quickly as possible is very important. I'm going to be joined in the studio by Maureen from Bedfordshire. Maureen's son is dyslexic and says if you, if you hadn't known the right people at the right time, he could have been let down by the system. We'll hear her story in this hour of the programme. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, this is Ian Lee. Sorry, I was just having a little natter there, uh, filling in uh, for JVS. That was a Steve Miller band and the Joker. And uh, I was having a little natter with our guest uh, Maureen, who's in the studio. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning, Ian. Uh, now, Maureen is here because her son Richard um, has dyslexia. Uh, how old is Richard now? Uh, he must be 37. And when was he diagnosed? When he was about between 9 and 10. Okay. Uh, and how did that... Uh, were, you, were you aware that there was some sort of problem going on? We knew at the lower school, the infant school, that there was something wrong with Richard because I got to know his teacher quite well. Um, so as he was going to move up to the middle school, uh, I also knew the teacher that uh, was head of the first year. So I'd spoke to her about our concerns about Richard. Yeah. And um, she sort of was ready for him and picked him out and uh, he was uh, he was one of the lucky ones. Mm. But I know there was lots of children that weren't as lucky as Richard and didn't get the help they needed so at what age did you kind of think there's something not quite right here when he started school yeah and how did it how did it show itself what what was um with spellings and things uh, we would go through the spellings at the weekend but uh come the monday morning he he didn't know them again he couldn't couldn't write them down Mm. he had problems reading Mm. and as, as much as we helped him he just wasn't getting anywhere 
And um, was it was it with numbers as well? Because dyslexia can affect numbers. Is it? No, it's no, just it's the letters. Reading, reading a short-term memory. This is one of the fascinating things about dyslexia: is that mm. it, it has so many different kind yeah. of aspects, and, and and people can have a bit of it and not all of it, or it, 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 and different degrees of it. Uh, and did he know that something was wrong when he was younger? Was he getting frustrated no. or um, upset? I don't think so. He was quite a happy child. It was when he went to the middle school, I think, that he started to really get problems right. because he stood out from the, from the rest. Yeah. Um, he used to have extra lessons where he was taken out of school and taken to another school mm. and uh, used to spend the afternoon there with them. Um, but once he'd gone to the uh, senior school, he didn't get any help. He was... Um, he really had lost interest in school by mm. then, just given up. I think that I've heard this story from other people as well, that that's kind of part of the problem, that, mm. if, that they just kind of think, well, what's the point? I can't keep up with this. I'm going to, you know, go off in my mind somewhere. What was the, 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 the extra schooling he was getting in the middle school, when he was t- being taken to this other school? He was taken to another school and just... Um reading and writing english and things like that to help him you know and were they doing it uh, how were they doing it? were they using special techniques or were they just doing the really basic janet and john kind I of think thing it was just the basic janet right. and john right yeah and then he went you say he went to another school he went to um the the uh what do you call it the um upper school yeah uh he didn't get any help at all there See, that's and amazing. So richard had given up he just um went through the motions of going to school but didn't really learn very much after yeah. that he left school with no qualifications. But in between time, he'd um, started work as a Saturday boy for a friend who had mm. a barber shop in town. And uh, when he left school, he decided that that's what he was going to do. He wanted to be a barber. So he went had day release at Barnfield College. And uh, at the end of the year, they had a competition um, so all this, against each other. And Richard won the competition. A barber's well, competition? Yeah, hairdressing competition. Okay. And then that uh, qualified him for another competition with another college. And then he went on to win all these competitions. Mm. So he began to think, well, he must be quite good at this. Yeah. Uh, he then ended up in Blackpool in the national finals and come third. Um, that's not bad, is it? No, that's so, very did, good. Did he, we were extremely did he proud get, of him. Did he get a trophy for that? What, he what did he win? Yeah, I think he got a medal or trophy. Um, I'm sure he's still got it. You're probably telling him himself when you speak to him. Yeah. Uh, he then decided, after working in Bedford for two or three years, that he wanted to move to London. Yeah. Uh, he started off working in Richmond and then moved on to Mayfair. Um, when he used to come home, he used to speak about what he wanted to do and he wanted to buy his own place and uh, then have his own business. And we thought, yes, OK, Richard, it'd be lovely if it happens, but yeah. we couldn't what, see it. Whatever, be realistic, son, come on. Um, and he did. He, he started his own business um, seven, eight years ago. Uh, he's now got, I think, eight people working for him. Wow. Uh, he's semi-retired. He's what, sorry? Semi-retired. How old is he? 37. He travels the world. He, um, he just, goes on lots of courses. Just through cutting hair and, and other bits and pieces? He's made that much money? Well, he, I it's not really It's not just... No, it's not really He just enjoys life. Well done, he's him. He's in a position where he doesn't have to work nine till five. Fantastic. And he can do what he likes. When... Uh, uh, you must have been frustrated when he was at the school and was getting no extra yeah, attention. we were. Did you we go were. up and kick a fuss, or...? We did. We used to go and have meetings, but um, it soon used to go back to square one, really. Never got anywhere. And why did... The, what did the school say was their reason for not helping him more? Uh, in the end, I think he got the attitude he didn't want to learn. Right. You so know, he, it was he down to Richard in the end. Right. Uh, and one of the problems is that a lot of teachers, I think it's something like 90% of teachers don't 
have don't know how to cope with someone who's dyslexic they don't know what to do and it must be frustrating um obviously what happened to richard in that school was was not helpful but it must be frustrating for the teachers who don't have the adequate training they see someone there who's kind of falling behind and not being able to keep up and it must be hard work for the teachers as well to give them well yeah it was hard work but you see you must remember this was 20 years ago yeah things have changed i would think or hope things have changed a lot since then and the children get more help than we did with richard um but I think they all find their own way in life. Mm. They find something they're good at. And if they're lucky enough, like Richard, um, to make something of their life. Well, if you're listening to this uh, now and you've got uh, a child who's at school or has been at school and is dyslexic, 08459 555. be great to find out uh, if your child... Uh, or you yourself, are getting the help and assistance that you need from the school. Um, are, have schools come on in the 20 years since, since Richard was there? Have, uh, are they giving you the help that you need to succeed? It's interesting you were saying what you said there, uh, uh, Moim, because I think that the people who are disadvantaged in the way that dyslexia disadvantages you, they, they quite often become more creative yeah. and, and artistic. And hairdressing, of course, is artistic. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite true. I mean, a lot of the time Richard was bullied, so he sort of um, shied away from things, and uh, that's why he didn't bother, I suppose. He didn't want to make a fool of himself. We're going to speak to Richard in a few minutes. Mm. Are you okay with that? Yes, I'm fine. Is he a good boy? He's a lovely boy. Are you sure? I'm positive. I'm nearly 40, and my mum told me off the other weekend. He's my little soldier. <laughs> that's, what that's what my mum calls me. My little soldier. I go, mum, for goodness sakes. He's going to be so embarrassed you said that. We will speak to Richard in just a few seconds. This is Ian Lee filling in for uh, JVS, who's off on a well-deserved break. And I've got to say, it's, it's, I've been listening to his show the past month or so. Uh, and they are big, very shiny shoes to fill. And hopefully I'm doing my best. If you want to give us a call, we're talking about dyslexia uh, in this hour. If it's affected you in any way, maybe it's you. Uh, maybe it's your, uh, a child that you've got. 08459. Four double five five double five. Does dyslexia have to hold you back? We got Maureen from Bedfordshire. Good morning, Maureen. Good, good morning, Maureen. Good morning. Ian. That's easy for you to say. Uh, we're talking about your son Richard, who is a very successful hairdresser. Yeah, he's semi-retired. He's your little soldier. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, do you mind being called your mum's little soldier? Of course I do. It presses all my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. Um, now, Richard, you've been listening. Uh, to, you got your headphones on, Maureen. You're okay. Can you hear him? Uh, you've been listening to your mum. Uh, she's a good mum, isn't she? Uh, she's amazing. Yeah. She, she's done you proud. What was it? When did, do you remember when you realised that there was something in inverted commas slightly different about you, and that, that you weren't getting letters as quickly as the other kids? It was very obvious for me because uh, when I was in the classroom, everyone else would get get it, you know, get what they were teaching, and I didn't. And did, well, did you and think you were stupid or? Totally, yeah, yeah. totally. The, the feelings what come from that, you know, of self-loathing, um, you know, no self-esteem um, and, and feeling thick. Yeah. Right from a young age, you're conditioned, because obviously I started school at five, so my conditioning of that started very young. Wow. And did any of the teachers, I mean, this was 20 years ago, so a whole lifetime ago, did any of the teachers, you know, say stop being thick, stop being stupid? Well, what actually happened is it's quite interesting because over the, the the period now, I've realised what's actually happened. And what it was was where I couldn't actually get what they were teaching me because I don't learn from a textbook. Yeah. And what, what actually happened was um, I started to get frustrated. So my learning difficulties were masked by bad behaviour. Okay, yeah. So where I couldn't learn and I was at the bottom of the set and everyone else was getting it and, and I was just getting increasingly frustrated that I couldn't get it. 
and it come out in bad behaviour. So the, the teachers kind of thought you were more of a naughty boy, perhaps, than there was an issue? Yeah, and lazy, and not being able to get it, and yeah. not understanding, and, you know, I wasn't willing to... But I just, I struggled to, to understand how, how they were teaching me. I couldn't get it. Your mum was saying that um, when you were younger, you, you would get taken out for a, a day or two a week to a, to a, a separate school to have kind of a, a extra tuition. What did they... T- how did that work? What did they do in those extra sessions? Um, well, basically, it was, it's very interesting because what actually happened, that was really helpful to me, and I had a really good rapport with the teacher, and her name was Miss Sullivan, and I really remember that. Mm. And she took me out, and she basically gave me one-to-one tuition and helped me understand how to break down words. Yeah. And um, she really gave me sort of a lot of belief um, that I could do things and, and so on, and I found that really powerful. That was one afternoon for two hours a week. And that, that's fantastic that you're getting that one-on-one tuition. I, I would be surprised if it, if it happens uh, at the moment with, with classes getting bigger and, and teachers being more and more strained. Maureen, you must have been worried for Richard that maybe that was it. Maybe his life was just going to be him not really paying attention, not focusing, not doing anything. Well, we didn't know what was going to happen to him, really. We didn't know what job he was going to do. Um, we just didn't know where, where it was going to end. Mm. Uh, we could see him going down the wrong path at times and had to uh, pull him in line. Yes. Um, but apart from that, he wasn't really a bad lad. We didn't have many problems with him. <laughs> Richard Maureen, stay there. We're going to speak to you more and find out more about um, exactly what happened and how Richard has become a, a, a success. And he's semi-retired at the age of 36. I need to find out how this works. We'll find out all more uh, after Diana Ross and Why Do Fools Fall In Love. Now, very exciting. Next Sunday, the Olympic torch continues its journey across the three counties. It's an early start in Bedford as it makes, it makes its way onto Cotton End and then to Letchworth Garden City. From Stevenage, it goes on to Welling Garden City in Hatfield. After St Albans, it travels through Hemel Hempstead and on to Luton. And every step of the way, we will be there. We are your Olympic station, BBC Three Counties Radio. And when I, I'm filling in for breakfast for a few weeks, um, and my first job is on Monday, uh, w- w- watching the, the torch be carried by. I'm quite nervous. I'm nervous because it's an outside broadcast. It's an important thing. There's going to be a lot of people there, and I don't want to mess it up. Um, in this hour, we're talking about dyslexia. Uh, does it have to hold you back? If you've got any stories relating to this, do give me a call. 08459 455555. I've got Maureen from Bedfordshire. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning, yeah. And I have to say that you smile absolutely delightful this morning. Thank you. You smile absolutely charming. Uh, and we've got your son, Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. There we go. Now, Richard, um, uh, is there a scale for dyslexia, Richard? Like one to ten or something? Or how is it qualified? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure. Right. Um, but I, I, I've, I've started to go uh, to join a, a sort of uh, a group called the Dyslexic Entrepreneurs. Okay. And um, recently, um, and that's quite interesting, but the, the, the reality is, is a lot of people are just found out now. Yeah. That they're in adult life. In really? Work and, and, yeah. Um, but mine was obvious, so yeah. obvious that it happened as soon as I started to learn. So I would guess my scale of dyslexia is very high. And so in your later school years, there was no extra tuition, no, nothing to help you or, or, or anything like that? No, not really. There was, there was um, six formers who would take me out, and, but they weren't trained to, to give me... Um, they were just doing this experience. No trained professionals giving me help. OK. Uh, and are you, did, did, you resented that, I guess? Well, I, do you know what? I shut down. Yeah. Because once you get put in all the bottom sets and you believe that you're told you're no good or you're thick or 
you're disruptive, you start to believe that. But the, the defining factor was for me is when I was leaving school, one of my deputy headmaster at the time told me I'd go nowhere. Really? And, um, you know, wow. I, was, I was a disgrace and I'd That's go That's helpful, nowhere. isn't it? Well, to be honest with you, that is one of my biggest whys in life, why it, what motivates me. Yeah. Because, because of that, I, because of him saying, listen, son, nothing, you ain't going to get nowhere. So you, you, you kind of set out to prove him wrong. 100%. Fantastic. I had a teacher who said, who said the very same thing to me. I wanted to be an actor. And she said, yeah. you'll, you'll, never, you'll never get into, uh, into drama school. You're no good. Why don't you, go and, why don't you go and work at the Mars factory, which was near where I used to live? I soon showed her wrong. Uh, uh, and then you how did you get into to hairdressing? I'm calling it barbering, but I know that hairdressers don't like to be called barbers, do you? Well, I'm a, I'm, I actually retired barber now. I'm an entrepreneur now. Oh, man alive. You made me say you're 36 years old. Yeah. And you've retired. Yeah. Well, I've retired from my job, right. my career, which was barbering. Yeah. And, um, and I've, I'm an entrepreneur, so I've got business and um, I, I have people that run that business. Yeah. And I generate an income from that business. Fantastic. Which means that I don't have a job. So what do you do with your life, Richard? Um, at the moment, I well, my business is called Pall Mall Barbers, yep. and basically it's based in the West End of London. And at the moment, I'm just working on you know sort of business development, yep. um, and and working on the product line, which is shaving range, and you know learning new skills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And are you still you're still are you still getting help? How is your reading now? How does how does that work? Can you read, or is it always going to be there? Do you have d- tricks that you use to get around things? Yeah, well, what I actually do now, reading the, the the problem I have with reading is it takes so much of my brain power and energy to read. Mm. People used to say I was lazy, but actually, it's just because it takes so much focus for me to read something and takes yeah. so long. I feel very drained and I fall asleep. So. You know, what I tend to do now is what I've worked to do is actually employ people to do that for me. You employ a reader? Well, people who I can outsource stuff to. I totally love your style, Richard. I totally love your style. (laughs) I think you're fantastic. Being dyslexic, what happens is you generate tools. Yeah. Which you you become used to, because you can't do things. You have to find solutions. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, you, you're always solution-orientated solution to, to get around problems. Well, you, uh, I don't know if you've got kids or anything. I was just saying to your mum, I've got a, a little boy, he's two and a half years old, and um, I, I'm already w- terrified about what his life is going to be like. And it's given me so much more respect for my parents being a parent now. Were you aware, when you were younger, of the concern that your mum had for you? Yeah, I, I, I guess I always was, and I had concern for myself as yeah. well, um, because you know you, you're in that situation, and, and obviously I had brothers and sisters, and 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 I think it was all about what I was going to do, you know, uh, you know, and how they were going to look after me, and so on. Um, but yeah, I managed to, you know, my dad gave me some words of wisdom about getting the trade, you know, and following that through, and I and I did. Listen, people always need haircuts. They're always going to need that. Uh, and the, 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 the dyslexics that you meet now, do, the, are a lot of them sort of more creative people, would you, would you say? Or is that a bit of a myth? 100%. Yeah, there's the, the, lots of different dyslexias, type, type of dyslexias. But the people who, like Richard Branson, for example, he, I read his autobiography, and he gave me great inspiration because yeah. I share his terror of reading out loud and... 
you know, so on. But he's got a vision. He's got, we're, we're very visual people. Mm. And, um, you know, so we can look at things and find solutions. And we have a totally different look on life. We're not analytical, or at least I'm not. I find it fascinating. Richard, stay there. We'll talk to you a little bit more after the news, if that's okay. Maureen, are you okay to stick around for a little bit? I'm I'm finding this fascinating. If you've uh, got a story, if you're affected by dyslexia uh, uh, in any way whatsoever, then give us a call, 08459 455555. I've been lucky that it's, you know, I've been able to read from a young age, and it just... It just makes you aware of what a gift it is. be interesting to find out uh, how things have changed in schools as well. We'll be talking to Richard and Maureen after this. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's only for a week. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get there in the end. We're talking about dyslexia. How does dyslexia affect you? 08459 555. We'll speak to you after the Beatles. Oh, I like them. Man, I love them. Can you believe some people don't like the Beatles? <laughs> what is that all about? Uh, this is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Uh, we were speaking to, uh, to Maureen from Bedfordshire, whose son Richard uh, is dyslexic, but he's 36 years old and he's now a successful business successful entrepreneur and you're telling me he jets off all around the world at the, the drop of a hat he yeah, goes right. uh, oh you're there sorry uh, Richard has gone Richard thank you very much for, uh, for taking part we've got a few calls are you okay to chat to a couple of calls yeah, is that yeah, okay let's go to um, Claire hello Claire hello whereabouts are you calling from Claire Houghton Regis Houghton Regis and, and uh, are you dyslexic Claire I am yes I am how has it affected you right well actually I can span the generations okay oh okay I'm 40. Yes, I'm dyslexic. Similar to Richard. Didn't get very far at school. Eventually left school with two or three O-levels. I then studied again with with my mum's help at home. I got enough to get into nursing, and I'm eventually qualified as a midwife. Fantastic. What did you get any help at school at all? Did did, did, did were you? Did I went into remedial reading, but yeah. otherwise, no, we did, had to do it all privately. Really, I, yeah. I really want to speak. If, if anyone's listening now who's got a kid at school, oh eight four five well, nine four. I oh, you have. I'll stop <laughs> reading out that phone number then, Claire. Then, then, then so is, well, jump a gen- jump half a generation to my sister. Yep. she came out of school at middle school, and my mum home educated her because history was repeating itself. She was dyslexic as well. Yeah. Wow. And so after, um, she went back in, you said Barnford College earlier, yep. she went into Barnford College at 14, into catering, got all her qualifications there, got it quite a, uh, to quite a level and then decided, no, that wasn't what she wanted to do. Yep. She became a nurse. Oh my and goodness. And she's qualified as a nurse. So we've got two nurses but in the family. But only because we've had my mum behind us as an advocate. Yeah. Um, talk about someone doing your writing for you she would we would try and read something she'd then read it for us we'd process it on our brain and then we'd tell her what we wanted to write she'd write it all down and then we'd put it into the computer isn't that interesting this person in the background doing it all for us but it was your work through them yeah and that was that was allowed yes okay 
because it was your work. Yeah. It was just through something. And in fact, if you went into an exam, you would have not your mum, but somebody else who did that for oh, you. Oh, imagine taking your mum into an exam, Claire. That would be awful. Yeah. I can't think of anything worse. Having my mum sat next exactly. to me. But you, ha- exactly. you, would have, you would have someone else. You'd have a, another party well, would come and... Well, the idea is then, then they can't bias it at all. Yeah. They can't give you any knowledge. Yeah. Only what you tell them goes wow. onto the paper. Isn't that incredible? So, so, then you asked a, a few minutes ago, Richard, whether there are levels of dyslexia. Yes, there are. There are? Okay, and like a spectrum. Level, I... level A means you're not dyslexic at all. Level E means you're severely dyslexic and can't read and probably do numbers. Is that not the cruelest twist of fate, to, to level it, have it with letters for a dyslexic yes. system? That doesn't seem particularly fair. <laughs> well, it, it, that's the way it works. Okay. That's what it is. I've now got two children. Yep. Well, I've got four, but two who are dyslexic so far. Um, who, one who's 12 and one who's 10. And we started the whole cycle again. Um, there is... N- the help through the school is very limited. You yeah. have to be four years behind in every subject to co- gain a statementing. Uh, wh- 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 what's statementing? What does that mean? That means you get uh, somebody who will come alongside you and... That's, that's called, OK. Extra hours. But you have yeah. to be four years behind everyone else? Yes. And I'm sorry, by then you've given up. Well, yeah, of course that sounds... That's, that's incredible. Surely, surely, at the first whiff of a problem, no. you should no, be given... four years behind. Wow. And it's a long way. So, when mine started to slip, about yeah. two years behind, I realised there was a problem. I've now had them privately um, tested. Yeah. And because they have the report, the school now have to do something. OK. So they are now getting some special help. Yeah. It's half an hour a week, yeah. but it's something. But they also now are qualified for a reader and writer in exam situations and things like that. Is it... Uh, are, I'm surprised that so many in your family have mm-hmm. dyslexia. Has, has the, has the, have the doctors or experts given you any explanation as to no. why this is? It's not genetic, mm-hmm. is it? They don't know. Um, but if you go up a couple of generations, we have people who dropped out of school without being able to read and write. They were classified as um, slow learners or such like, oh. and then have gone into trade professions, who and they've gone a long way in their trade, yeah. but they've never been academic. Maureen, have you, you've got other children. Yeah, no problem with any of the others. No problem at all. No. And, and any other uh, dyslexics in your family at all? No. No, not that we know of, no. That's why there's the problem. They never... Our family, there seems to be generations of them. Right. More, other families, there's not, and they can't pick up the link. I'd, I'd never heard of that before. That's fascinating. And so you've got, you got four kids. Two of them have been di- diagnosed with dyslexia. The other two, they well, seem to be doing all right so far. They're only eight and four, so okay. we'll find out. And the, 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 the two older kids, are you going to home-tutor them? Are you going to carry on that tradition? If necessary, yeah. um, the difficulty is because I'm dyslexic. Oh, there we go. Yeah, of course, I see the problem. The problem. Yeah. Oh, Claire. Well, listen, thank you very much for uh, giving us a call, and, and best of luck to your kids. I hope, you know, I, right. it, it will turn out properly. Of course, everything will turn it out will. fine. And in, in, in the same way as it has for me and my sister, we've got where we needed to go. It just took us longer. Yeah, of course. And we needed that one-to-one person along the way. If you have to pay for it, that's what you do. Claire, thank you very much. I'm fascinated by that. A whole family that, that, that has dyslexia. It does seem incredible. Um, let's go to Judith. Hello, Judith. Oh, hello. Judith in Stopsley. Uh, you're dyslexic. Yes. Has it held you back? Um, not really, no. Um, well, I, d- I never had a job that was really interesting. I always had sort of boring jobs. Yeah. But, 
I was doing a course when I was 36 is when I found out, and they said at the college that they think I was dyslexic, and they said, have you ever been told you're dyslexic? And I always wondered why I couldn't do things like other people. I always, I always felt there was something wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But uh, like reading, I would read a word that wasn't there or miss something out, and the writing used to run into each other. Um, but now I'm, I, I'm computer literate. My husband taught me how to use a computer. That has helped my spelling and writing letters. The, the the writing used to run into each in, into each other. Yeah, well, it moved, I don't. It sounds funny, but the writing never used to sort of. Sometimes the, the words would go into each other. Put it that way. It's um, it, it, it is fascinating. Cause I, I'm trying to imagine what you would see, and it's it's this, the same thing as trying to imagine colour blindness. You just oh. can't you, you can't imagine what 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 you're seeing. Words out, and then when I was at school, I mean I'm 68 now, but it's a long time ago. And the teacher would get delight in me standing up in front of the class. Oh. Reading out, and then she'd say, "You've missed a word out. Or what? That word's not in there." And I was always classed as um, lazy, and um, what's the word? Um, couldn't concentrate. Lack of concentration. I suppose so you're 68. Did you say, yes. Judith? So I, I, I don't even. I don't know when dyslexia was. Um, oh, we never heard of it in those days. Was, was 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 discovered. We got someone coming on from the the dyslexia action charity. We'll we'll, we'll ask them maybe in a minute. But. Uh, it, you must have... That's so cruel, getting you to stand up and read in front of everyone for a laugh. Yeah, well, I didn't have to actually done it for a laugh, but I just felt embarrassed about it, because well, they would laugh, the others, obviously. But we come from... I come from a school that had larger classes anyway, so... And there must have been quite a few felt the same. We've got... Um, stay there, Judith. We've got Kevin Geeson, who's from the charity Dyslexia Action. Good morning, Kevin. Kevin, oh no, you're there. Hello, Kevin. Hello. You're on that fader. Sorry. <laughs> when was dyslexia? I want to say discovered first. You know, acknowledged. I think um, during during the last century, it became more and more known. Yeah. So probably, if you, if, I think there are some reports. If you go back far enough, it was in the 1800s or even earlier than that. But really, properly taken seriously, I suppose, in our education system um, for the last 40 years, probably best. Because we're hearing, you know, people being told that they were lazy. Uh, I remember a. a, a kid at school who looking back was obviously dyslexic but was told he was stupid mm-hmm. uh we've moved on a, a long way since then haven't we tell me we have please <laughs> yes and no i think it's fair to say i mean i think i think one if you like the, the battle to get recognition of dyslexia has been won in you know in the majority of places except that uh, dyslexia exists unfortunately not everywhere but the majority of places do exist it's, and it's covered under the disabilities discrimination act or the Equal- equalities act these days mm. which is a, a really good step forward um and there's lots of great practice in our schools in terms of supporting kids with uh, who, sh- who struggle with dyslexia or literacy more generally however there are still far too many cases where um, the likes of what you just described are still happening in our in our school system, um, and a lot of that's really around the training of teachers who just don't understand what you know the, the needs of the kids in front of them. How many teachers? You may not have these figures. How many teachers uh, are trained in dealing with dyslexia? I don't know, but there was a Rose review um, that was in 19, 2009, and that provided funding for more specialist teachers and I think as a result of that around 3,000 people were have been trained in, in dyslexia and similar um, but unfortunately there isn't someone in every school mm. you know, and a lot of the specialist um, support services that local authorities provided with all the changes that are going on in education some of those are being disbanded which means where schools used to look to the local authority for support on things like dyslexia um, there's no one there to look to anymore <laughs> 
it must it, it must uh, lift you hearing the stories we got i don't know if you heard maureen uh, who's who's here with us who, uh, her son richard who was dyslexic didn't get much help kind of rebelled against the system and then a teacher said you're going nowhere mate mm-hmm. and he took that as the impetus he's got now got a successful business he's swanning all over the world uh, that that must d- do you good to hear things like that. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, there's, like like all things in life, there's 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 two sides to everything, and I think it's fair to say that part part of you know dyslexia is around people struggling to read and learn in the way that schools have traditionally taught people mm. through reading and writing. However, that doesn't mean that people with dyslexia don't have strengths in them in and of themselves. Yeah. Clearly, Maureen Sun does, um, and quite often there there are lots of examples of people who tend to be more creative, more. Um, and therefore can be successful um, if given opportunities around their, their dyslexia. Maureen, I think what Kevin and I are both angling for is a free haircut and a free <laughs> shave from Richard. Is that, is that, can you, can you yeah, do well, that for us? Well, you better get in touch with Richard for that, but I'm sure he'll sort something out. <laughs> I'm sure I hope he can sort something out. Uh, and Kevin, so very quickly, what does your charity do, Dyslexia Action? Well, we do, we do three things. We do a lot of work with individuals, so children predominantly, but also adults around help, helping them work out strategies around that, around uh, living with their dyslexia which they have to do for the whole of their life mm. we also do some what we call capacity building which is helping so we do teacher training and we, and we train other people so that they can help people with dyslexia better in their work um, and also as you would have seen from the report that we published last week dyslexia still matters mm. we do research and campaigning on behalf of people with dyslexia particularly in the education system and more more so on behalf of adults as well who are getting the Kevin, uh, it's lovely to talk to you. Keep fighting the fight, and uh, maybe we'll speak to you again soon at some point. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Uh, this is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon Smith on BBC Three Counties Radio. More of your calls. We'll speak to uh, oh another Richard after this. This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm here all week. It's only a week. Don't panic. He'll be back next week, and then I'm filling in for breakfast for a few weeks as well, which um, I'm looking forward to. I have to get up, Maureen, for when I do the breakfast show. Quarter past four in the morning. Oh, God. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I'm an old man now. I can't do that. So, well, I, I'll have to, otherwise I'll be in terrible trouble. Uh, Maureen is joining me. She uh, uh, is from Bedfordshire. Her son, Richard, is dyslexic. He's 36 years old. He's now uh, a successful entrepreneur. He sounds very confident as well. Was he always so confident when he no. was younger? No, he had no confidence. No confidence at all. Mm. Um, I think being really cool at school, you know, knocked all his confidence. So, kids are vicious. I mean, kids are vicious. I, listen, I, I was bullied and I did a bit of bullying, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, and it, it, kids look for anything that's a little bit different, a little bit weak, uh, you know, and they, they kind of hone in on it. So, so something as obvious as not being able to read, they would have, I imagine he would have had a right old tough time. Yeah, he did. It was uh, really upsetting. You know, he didn't want to go to school mm. and uh, we had lots of problems. But That must um, have been heartbreaking for you. It was. As a mum. It was, especially starting new schools and uh, not knowing what to expect and knowing it was going to start all over again. Mm. Um, if you're listening, get a pen and paper, because we're going to give out the phone number for Dyslexia Action a little bit uh, later on, before the end of... Uh, before 11 o'clock. So go and get a pen and paper, and uh, we will give that out. Uh, we've got another Richard on the line. Richard's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Richard. Hello, there, Ian. Uh, you've got dyslexia as well, have you? I have, yeah. Uh, I'd be interested to know what percentage of the population has it, because it did, every time that this is mentioned, a, a lot of people call in. How badly do you have it, Richard? Um, well, I was just recently diagnosed through my work um, with really? dyslexia. But how, how old do you feel? I'm, I'm asking. Thirty-five. Right. My mum fought tired, was tirelessly when I was younger to try and find it out. But the only problem with it was, was back then. You, you, you know, there wasn't the awareness of it like there is now. I, I don't seem to think there was anyway. No. Um, I had extra tuition at home. Um, I was in the bottom, obviously, uh, group at, at school, um, and. 
I was seen by a child psychologist back then, and they said to me that I'd just become just below average back then. But um, I was seen, by, obviously, by work um, recently, and I was diagnosed with it. Um, and all of these um, measures were put into place for me. Yeah. And nothing's still been done because they can't seem to find out where the funding's going to come from. So you're kind of stuck. Yeah. And I'm, uh, it's, quite, it's actually quite hard for me to come on, even to come on the radio. I'm shaking like a leaf. It's actually quite hard for me to come on here because my confidence, I haven't got much confidence. At really? All. I feel like it's held me back definitely in my job. I've been in my job at the moment for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and it feel, I feel like it's held me back definitely. And so, but you only, you only found out recently you were dyslexic. No, I've always known. Right. I've always known. It's only been di- diagnosed known, recently, though. Um, my coping strategies have kicked in. Um, I just tend to get on with it, do you know what I mean? I just tend to do what I need to do, and, um, yeah, I've really struggled, really struggled. You don't know where... I'm I'm speechless here, because you think that that it it is... I don't know if it's classed as a disability, but it it certainly... It is now classed as a disability. It is classed as that now, is it? Yeah, it is classed as a disability. Well, we see how the disabled people are getting treated with all the cutbacks and stuff at the moment, so, you know... (laughs) The problem with a lot of people is it's because you can't see it. Yeah. It's just not a disability you possibly can't see, then people, doesn't, people don't know how to deal with it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, you do hear of, of people at universities and schools and things who get, like, a laptop. I've got a friend of mine who's um, uh, a dyslexic, uh, Eloise, and she got given a, a laptop at university that she was allowed to keep afterwards to yeah. kind of help her just make life a little bit easier. And you're getting nothing at all, well, no? I, I had the British Dyslexic Association come and did do a, a full assessment on me. Yeah. Um, through um, access to work, and then basically what, what's happening now is they've put these measures into place like um, they said I need a laptop with additional um, IT software on there um, that I can carry a digital dictaphone, that I can also um, carry a, a, a digital notebook, and also I was going to also get um, 10 two-hour sessions with a dyslexic specialist. All these things are put in place. Yeah. The, the, the stop now because they don't know where the money's going to come from for the funding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you say it affects your confidence. Yes. You don't sound nervous now. You're doing a great well, job, I Richard. Am quite, I am quite nervous, though. I am sort of pacing about and Listen, slightly. It's I, funny yeah. you do that. I, I've, I've phoned up uh, talk shows before as a, as a punter, and I get nervous. Have you got the shaky leg? I have, yeah. I get the shaky leg, Richard! I get that! I, I think that might be quite normal. But does your lack of confidence, uh, you know, d- d- does it affect you in other areas? Um, well, I know. I, I do believe that I'm quite, you know... Um, you know, practically, I was very... Because when I left school, I, I went... I was alert, I trained to be a chef. Yeah. Um, and I, I did that first of all. So, practically, I'm very good at doing stuff like photography. See, if I could get... It's just taking that leap. I'd yeah. love to leave my job that I'm in now and have my own photography business. But it's, yeah. it's just literally taking that taking that step to do it. Because I feel that my, my photo... Because I've done a few um, weddings and christenings and stuff. And, yeah. And I've been very pleased with what I've produced. But... It's just taking that le- just taking that final step to, yeah. to do it, and I think that's where the dyslexia kicks in. Richard, listen, thank you very much. I wish you the best of luck, and I hope you make a success of whatever it is you choose to do. We've got time for one more quick caller. We've got Steve in Letchworth. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Steve has Steve has disappeared. Steve has disappeared. Maybe he got the shaky leg as well. Well, there we go. Maureen, thank you so much for coming in. That's How okay. often do you see your boy? 
Um, not as often as I'd like to. Come on, Richard, if Mother's you're still Day. listening. Mother's Day, Father's Day. It's not good enough. Christmas. Does he still, he doesn't still bring his washing home, does he? Oh, no, he used to. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come with a sack full. <laughs> That's one of, the, one of the best things that when moving out is that you can, you, Mum, oh, come, come over and have a Sunday roast. Okay, Mum, can I bring some washing with me? Turn it up with three or four black bags of washing. That's what it's all about. Well, Richard only comes home to, drink, to eat junk, you see, because he's a health freak. So when he oh, comes he? home and he has his roast dinners... Is see. he one of those health obsessives? Mm. I, just, I don't know if you heard earlier on, I did ten press-ups and ten sit-ups last night. I was exhausted! I was bathed in sweat and I was huffing and puffing. <laughs> Luckily there was no one in the house to see me look like a complete, uh, an utter idiot. Um, well, listen, uh, the best of luck to him. I shall be in touch about that free haircut that you, uh, you have uh, promised us, which is all very, <laughs> very nice. Oh, the dyslexia... Uh, oh, hang on a second. Rich, uh, Richard? Hello. Oh, it's, it's that Richard. Hello, Richard. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. When can I pop in for a free haircut and a shave? Well, you just let me know and uh, and, and come, come and visit. Uh, make good an lad. appointment online yeah. and we'll sort you out. Brilliant. You're a good lad. Come, uh, and visit your mum more, please. <laughs> visit will, your mother more, Richard. <laughs> please. Richard, listen. I do, Go on. I, I, I do speak to her quite a bit to make up for my absence. Okay, that's good. Yeah, Richard, yeah. listen, best of luck. Thank you very much for talking to us. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. No uh, the Dyslexia Action uh, Office number is 0207 730 I'll give that ag- out again just after 11 o'clock in case you missed it. Maureen, thank you so much for coming in. Take care. Lots of love. Uh, and uh, we'll... S- oh, it's Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, Dark Side. Coming up after 11, we're going to have uh, more of your consumer problems. I'm very excited to hear all about uh, Nikki and her bed. <laughs> Good morning, this is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who's off on a holiday somewhere nice and warm. Maybe we should give him a call this week and see if we can rouse him out of his sleep. Uh, it, in this hour, between now and 12, I'm going to be looking at your consumer problems. And if you've got an issue that you'd like us to look at, get in touch with the team. I'll give the phone number in a bit. Oh, and I'll give out that dyslexia phone number a bit later on as well, as I said I would. Uh, today, there's going to be an update for Emma. Emma told us about her consumer problem involving a new phone line that she'd had installed last December. The engineers keep coming around and it develops. Normally, when they lay a cable, you know, they will put it down about a foot deep. It's about half an inch, you you basically can lift a thing up with your finger. Emma's been having problems with her phone line being dug up from her front garden as it's not been buried deep enough. She and her partner have been left for days without a phone and now the company is saying they might terminate Emma's contract as it's costing them too much to keep repairing and relaying the cable. I'll also be talking to Nikki. Nikki came to us with her consumer problem regarding a three-year-old mattress. This mattress which I purchased is sinking on the size six inches. How much did you spend on this mattress? £812 plus I extend warranty £35 and on the mattress it says 10-year guarantee. So is this fair wear and tear? What's happened to the mattress and is it covered under the 10-year warranty? And if you've got a consumer problem that you think we can help with, you can still give us a call, even though Jonathan's not here, we can still do this. 08459 455 555. That's the phone number. If, you've, if something's happened to you, you're not happy with something, give us a call. You'll speak to either me or Ben, and maybe you'll come on air, and we will do our best to sort it out for you. 08459 455 555. We're going to be finding about all those stories and more 
after this. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, it's Barry White. I'm feeling sexy. Good morning, this is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Now, from next Friday afternoon through to the Monday morning, we're taking BBC Three Counties on the road. We'll be broadcasting all of our programmes live from the centre of the Love Luton 2012 Festival with reporters following the Olympic torch every step of the way through the three counties. Come down to Wardown Park in Luton and you can challenge Justin Dealey's jukebox or help JVS celebrate the torch arriving in Luton. We are your Olympic station, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, and also, in this hour, Nick Coffer's popping in because his show starts at 12. Now, yes, I know, it's, it's, everything's on the move slightly. Don't panic. It's all, it's all for your benefit. We know what we're doing. He's going to pop in uh, maybe in about 10, 15 minutes uh, and let us know what's going on. Until then, this is the Consumer Hour on the JVS Show with me, Ian Lee. Give us a call if you have a consumer problem you think we can help you with. 08459 455 555. Now, on the line, we should have Roger. Roger, tell me about your consumer problem without mentioning any names or company details, please. Okay, and um, uh, we bought the car, you know, from the auction, uh, and we paid uh, just over nine and a half thousand pounds. Yes. And uh, within a month, the clutch plate went. Right. And it's, the car has only got thirty-three thousand on the clock. Yeah. So obviously, I took it to the dealers and uh, uh, got the repair done. Yeah. And that cost me uh, nine hundred six pounds and twenty-six pence. Yeah. How, how much? Sorry. Sorry. How much did it cost you? Nine hundred and six pounds and twenty six pence. Twenty six pence. Okay, that's yeah. So I've been waiting for. I mean, I, I was told the it'll be covered by the warranty. So you know, I've been waiting three months now, and uh, nothing. Every time I ring them, they keep you know passing the buck to a different person. Okay, so it, it was you had this fixed three months ago. Three months ago, yeah, it was in uh, in February. And again, without men- I don't want to hear any names or places because I don't, I don't want to get sued. I don't want you to get sued, uh, Roger. Did you uh, did the, the, the you taken it back to the place you bought it from? Um, no, no, that was the auction. Okay, so you bought it in an auction. Yeah, and it came with a warranty. That's right. Yeah. How long was the warranty for? The warranty was uh, for sixty thousand miles. Sixty thousand miles. So it, there wasn't a, a, a length of time or anything attached to it. It wasn't a three-month warranty or anything. It was it was a sixty thousand warranty. Thousand miles. And you have taken it to uh, a, a garage. Yeah. The- n- not connected with the auction house at all. No. And they have fixed it for you, and it has cost you nine hundred and six pounds and twenty six pence. That's right. Yeah. And you've been in touch with the warranty people. Yeah. And th- th- how have you contacted them? Has it been phone calls, letters, letters, emails? Oh, them. You emailed them? them? Yeah. And the emails say, they definitely say they will cover the cost? They will cover the cost, yeah. Well, then what's the problem? I don't know. I mean, every time I've been ringing and ringing. But, and the last email I got was uh, they were asking for the uh, bank account uh, number. So, you know, we send all that. Yeah. That was over a month ago. Right. So yeah. they've got all of the details of how to pay the money in... Everything's there. <laughs> ...to your account. Yeah. They've just not paid in the £906, and indeed, the 26 pence. That's right. Well, and these emails, these emails definitely say, you are covered by the warranty, we are going to give you this amount of money. It does, yeah. Well, then what's the problem? Why are they dragging their heels? I don't know. Every time I ring, there'll be a different person. Oh... Uh. 
the voicemail. So, you know, uh, obviously, I'll put my, you know, the case number and, you know, they know who's calling, obviously. And there'll be different persons. Whenever I, um, did you say you had to leave voicemails for them? Well, the voicemail and then the person will come and talk. Person. Wouldn't be the same person I've been talking to. This is this is the frustrating thing about dealing with these these companies is when you can't you say can I speak to Steve? Oh no, Steve Steve's not here. Well, I've been speaking to Steve about the whole thing so far. Why can't I speak to Steve? And you have to start. I've had this with companies where you have to start again yeah. from the very beginning. Exactly. Roger, I feel your frustration. Uh, I, I, I suspect. This is something we can possibly have. I'm, I'm going to go to, to um, my expert, <laughs> with a very small e, Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello. Uh, ben, you've heard this story from Roger. Well, yeah. what, what can we do? Well, I think what we need to do is just stick a call into this company and just see what's, what the problem is. It may be a clerical, a clerical error, rather. Uh, we don't know what's going on at this stage, so let's put a call into this company, chase this up, and see if we can get Roger a result. I noticed this about you, Ben, when I listened to Jonathan doing this yeah. show. You're very generous. It may be a clerical error. Well, I think... You you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that's quite positive, and I think, you know, I always try to see at least that, that light in someone first. You are totally giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. And, and surely that's fair, isn't it? <laughs> you're right, it is fair. You're the, you're the voice of fairness in, in, in my sea of, of, of not being fair. Roger, does that sound okay? That so we'll, we'll give them a call today, uh, and we will see what the situation is, and we'll, we'll find out what the latest is, and we'll get back to you. All right, sir. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you very much, Ben. We'll, we'll make come back to you a little bit later on. Uh, oh, now, I'm joined in the studio by Emma. Uh, Emma told us about her consumer problem involving a new phone line. Uh, what's ha- happened is we had this phone line fitted in last December... Um, the engineers keep coming around and did a lot of Normally, when they lay a cable, you know, they will put it down about a foot it's deep. It's about, about half an inch, though. You, can, you basically can lift a thing up with your finger. Uh, now, Emma has been having problems with her phone line being dug up from her front garden as it's not been buried deep enough. She and her partner have been left for days without a phone, and now the company is saying they might terminate Emma's contract as it's costing them too much to keep repairing and relaying the cable. Is this true, Emma? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So, again, without, I don't want to hear any names, no names, no pack That's fine, I understand that, yeah. Good, 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 good. Uh, So, what, did they phone you up? Did they email you? They've actually um, had a phone call from a lady. She basically says something about they're going to come down and put it in. But every time they put it in, they keep... The line keeps getting put in, and we keep get disconnected yeah. up again, connected back up again. This is this is this is stupid. The thing I couldn't understand, I did listen to I did listen to Jonathan uh, yeah. uh, talking to you about this, and he was as ma- as amazed as I was. Mm. How is the line getting damaged? Is it yobs coming and doing it? Is I'm, it? I, I don't know, I don't know who someone do maliciously doing it. Every time it keeps happening, it keeps happening at the end of my garden. So like, what's happening is between my next door neighbour's garden. Yeah. And someone basically keeps going top of the garden and maliciously cutting the line. Wow. Yeah. And you've got no idea who's doing that? No, honestly, I've got clues in it. See, that sounds incredible. And uh, just remind us, how deep was the line buried? What, about that, that deep? That's, you, that's about half a centimetre. Yeah, basically, you're, yeah. You're displaying there. Yeah. And that sounds incredible. And I heard the show that, that, that yeah. you came on, and lots of people phoning up saying that's kind of the way that these Another things. Thing these is, sorry, there's nothing we keep getting. Obviously, I had a phone call, knock on the door the other day, from the police keep knocking, knocking on our door, sorry? saying that someone keeps making phone calls on our line. But every time uh-huh. we keep making phone calls on our line, our line's being disconnected. Someone, so someone is you tapping into your phone line. I'm ringing the police. I'm ringing the fire brigade ambulance. I'm ringing the undertakers up on my, on my landline. And saying what? 
sunk a lot of someone's being stabbed up or something like that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you have any enemies? No. There's no one you could think of that could be... No. That's, that's a mystery, isn't it? It is a mystery, yeah. And you've not seen anyone loitering or eyeing up your cable or anything like that? No. Okay. I'm intrigued by this. Mm, this it's, is, this it's, it's a bit strange, isn't it? It's very strange, Emma. I'm a little bit concerned about you that, that someone will be doing this to you. It's not a very nice thing to be doing. Have you asked the company... Uh, the cable company to to l- put the cu- the cable a foot I've, down, two I've, foot down. I've even asked them that, and their answer is: if you want it done properly, you have to pay three hundred and fifty pound to put the cable in, and one hundred and forty nine pound to put the ducking in here down to your standard. But that's, it's costing them money every time they come and fix it. Yeah, that's what I mean. And they're saying, oh, it's costing us so much money when we, we might not come and fix it anymore. Mm. Surely it would have been cheaper in the first place if they just come and dug a cable. Um, laid it in the cable, laid it in the, laid it in the trench. Yeah, that's what I mean. We've got a um, piping under the ground, and we yep. said for to put it in, to put the cable under the ducking in the first place. Yeah, but they wouldn't do that. Okay, I'm I'm intrigued by this. I'm going to speak mm. to Ben. I don't know if yeah. Ben Ben can uh, can give me. I'm only doing it just because I'm very very new at this, and I don't want to do anything that's going to get me into trouble. <laughs> ben, <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. That the, the company that are responsible for the cable are saying they might possibly terminate. Emma's contract. Really? Okay. Because of it's costing them too much to keep repairing and relaying the cable. I would think, surely, just dig a trench and then it won't cost you anything. Well, uh, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I guess we'll have to go back to the company. You're going to give them the benefit of the doubt now, are you? Well, we just need to find out more about these reasonings, you know. Uh, and, and particularly, uh, as always, you've always got to look at yep. those terms and conditions. Yes, of course. Terms, and, and the devil's in the detail. So. Now, I, I just want to get a few of the, the formalities cleared up here. Am I in charge of this case? You are, yeah. Oh, man. You're the man. Am I phoning this company up today? You will be, yeah. You're, you're going to be chasing it up and finding out what is going on here. Thank you very much, Ben. Well, there you heard it, Emma. I'm yeah. going to be making a phone call after the show today to this company. Right, okay. And I'm going to see exactly w- w- whether this threat to uh, withdraw your contract... Uh, is legitimate, right. um, and let's see if if we can move any further with this because it just sounds it, it, it sounds like uh, you're being treated very unfairly. It is about yeah. this situation. You basically keep getting charged like for bills. We haven't even obviously. What trying to do is they're trying to charge us for service we haven't got as well. Right, of course you haven't got that. How long does d- 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 are you out? Uh, uh, is the phone or the internet off? about a couple of weeks a week couple of days uh, it's no good no it's not no emma listen i'm glad i got this one because i i, I want to do my best this this is the story last week that really jumped out at me and yeah. uh, uh, i'm going to give him a call this uh, this afternoon and we're going to see what we can do well thank you Ian. thank you very much for coming in this is ian lee filling in for jonathan vernon smith on bbc three counties thank you this is ian lee filling in for jvs on bbc three counties radio and yeah, I'm, I'm getting there i reckon by the end of of my run at breakfast i will know what buttons do what and what faders uh, do what i'm joined by nick coffer good morning nick if you're saying you don't know what buttons do what i think it's sounding brilliant really yeah it is uh, it's like a duck paddling on a on a, a, a pond but the, the, my legs are going like crazy and also i'm looking at it it's nothing like a duck paddling on a pond no i'm, I'm looking and they're frazzled. very very long legs to go paddling <laughs> very, do you like the way i've got them wrapped around my chair like this i find it very relaxing now nick you're starting at 12 now i am am i did, did no one tell you did you not get the email 
It would appear so. You're starting at 12. Yep. Uh, Bed, Tarts and Bucks, uh, live uh, entertainment uh, stories as ever. The show moves uh, to an hour early. You get an hour extra of Rob every day as well, but the uh, the show stays very much the same. We've got a corking guest for you in the first hour. Do you know Jack Thorne? Uh, he wrote, mm. wasn't meant to put you on the spot there. Okay. He wrote, uh, he wrote uh, This is England and uh, Skins, which I used to love on, on Channel 4 as well. He now lives in Luton, uh, rather interestingly. So he'll be coming in to talk about uh, his, uh, his life as a, as a prolific writer, not only for TV, but theatre and books as well. Uh, Chris Thomas runs a music shop in uh, Woburn Sands. Is coming in to talk about his uh, music scene. Jeff Achtem, uh, he he's actually from Canada, bending the rules slightly for once because uh, it's always bed tarts and bucks. But he is playing at the Tringe uh, this week, okay. uh, the Tringe, and he is a genius um, uh, shadow puppeteer. And uh, we're looking ahead to Black Beauty in Woburn, which uh, starts tonight. I'll have some of that. Do we get... I don't know, it's BBC, isn't it? Do we get free tickets for things like that? Do we? Should we have that conversation off air? Thank you very much, Nick Coffer. Lovely to see you, sir. Thank you. Nick will be on uh, at midday, so stick around for that. It's definitely worth uh, a listen. Uh, meanwhile, back to the, your consumer affairs that I'm, I'm doing my best to deal with, and I'm treading very carefully because this can be a legal minefield. So if I'm being a little bit hesitant, I know Jonathan just steams through everything because he doesn't care. But uh, I'm only here for a week. I don't want to get sued. All right. So that's why I'm treading very carefully. So thank you for being patient with me. Now, uh, Nikki came to us with her consumer problem regarding a three-year-old mattress. This mattress is singing on the size six inches. How much did you spend on this mattress? Eight hundred and twelve pound plus I extend warranty thirty five pound and on the mattresses it says ten year guarantee. I telephoned the man came, he took a photograph of the mattress and four days later he says to me that the mattress is, is not being treated properly. That's why it sang down. So, is this fair wear and tear? What's happened to the mattress? And is it covered under the 10-year warranty? Well, Nikki's on the line. Good morning, Nikki. Yes, good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Can I ask you a cheeky question? Yes. How am I doing filling in for Jonathan? Oh. Uh, sorry. Ah. Uh, how, 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 um, what happened is I received the letter, yeah? Okay, we're going to go straight into this. Okay, that's fine. I, t- I, take, I take your silence to mean I'm doing excellently. Thank you. So what's the latest? You've received a letter. Yes. I, uh, don't phone me on Friday, if it's all right, a bit on the radio today. I say yes. Okay. And an hour later, a letter came. Okay. I opened the letter, and it says in the letter that, um, please, we tried contact you, but we couldn't over the telephone. Okay. And please, can you telephone us? I, I telephoned them and they arranged another engineer to take photograph and they said to me the day is the 11th. Yes, okay, so, well, so what's happened here is I, I've been coordinating with, with the company involved here. Yeah. Um, and what they've said is that uh, a technician, the, the initial uh, person they sent out, so they've already sent out one person to have a look at this mattress to, mm. to check the extent of the damage. Yeah. They say that the, they believe that this dipping has been caused as a result of the customer's son sitting on the edge of the bed. Ah. And uh, they say that the reason he's but, come to this conclusion is because the base, which wasn't purchased at the same time as the mattress... But that base has developed a similar issue in the same area. Now, Nicky, your son was a, he was a big lad, wasn't he? Yeah, he is a big lad, yes. But That's st- why I bought this mattress more expensive and more orthopedic and more heavy deep mm. to last longer. You would think... How, and how old is the mattress? The, only three years Three old. years. You would think, Ben, that an expensive 800 and whatever it was pound mattress could withstand a lad sitting on the edge of it. 
It's not sitting on the edge. I, I oh. said to them over the phone three times because oh. I phoned them three times and say, I'm sorry, you have to do something about it. My son is not sitting on the edge of the mattress. No. So I got a chair for him there and I took him in my bedroom and I said, look up, can you come and see my mattress? I said, okay. uh, memory mattress from the same shop, I said, yep. and I got it for seven years, two people sleeping the, on the mattress and it's Nikki, perfect. one second, let Ben come in, Ben. The, the issue here is that um, what they're seeing is in the base and the mattress in both parts of that there is there is uh, sagging and bulging what they're saying and the, the trouble is mattresses aren't designed to be sat on on one one edge they're saying that the, the design of the mattress is is to be laid on and so they're, they're they're saying that in this case it appears that um uh, you know the conclusion the first technician has come to is that it has been sat on the edge however in order to resolve the matter as you mentioned there yeah. nikki they're happy to offer a second opinion from a different technician to go okay. and have a look at Yes, that's okay. why he's coming on the 11, yeah? So he's coming on the 11th, yes. is that right? Yes, he's giving me the date. Yep. And so another technician's going to come and have a look. Yeah. And is this an independent technician, Ben? Or is this, this will be a second technician from the company. Okay. Yeah. Because you can you can sit on the edge of beds. People I'm have been sitting sure on the edge of beds see. for years, haven't they, Nikki? Yeah, because yes. I said to the shop when I purchased, I said, he says to me, yes, you can sit five, ten minutes, but yeah. no more than ten minutes. And that's fair enough. And this is what my son's been doing. I got him a nice chair, he sits on the chair, yeah. and he doesn't sit on the edge of the bed. The issue and is that the evidence doesn't point to that. That's right. what the company is saying at the minute, from from what the technician's I, seen initially. I think what we need to do, uh, Nikki, is I think we need to let the second technician come and have a look yeah. uh, on the 11th, uh, and when he's been, uh, we'll give you a call. And we'll find out what the what the verdict is from that. I think we have yes. to wait till that. Is that okay? Wait till that. I think yeah, that's the best. Thing. All right. So don't panic. Don't fret. Let's see mm-hmm. what the second guy says. Yes. Uh, and then we'll have another little chat. Yes, we will. Thank you ever so much, Mr. Ian. Thank you very much, Mr. Ian. There we go. That's that's the way I want to be addressed for the rest of the show. This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS. More of your calls after Take That. Take That, Greatest Day. This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Just for the week, he's back next week. If you want to give us a call with a consumer problem, 08459 455 555. Come on the air, uh, and maybe we can help. Maybe we can sort it out for you. I'm enjoying this hour a lot. Hope you are too. We're going to speak to Rebecca about her mobile phone after this. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I'm joined by Rebecca, who's come to the Consumer Programme with a problem. Now, Rebecca, don't mention any company names. I don't want to know the mobile phone model. I don't want to know nothing. Okay, so uh, <laughs> being as vague as you can, okay. tell us your specific story. Um, due for an upgrade, yep. um, contacted the mobile phone company, yes. and obviously they said, yes, fine, you can either go into a store, yep. as long as you call us whilst you're in a store, we can upgrade it that way, alternatively we can post it. Yep. I was going shopping anyway, so went into a store, called whilst in the store to upgrade, as I'd said. Um, two days later, hated the phone, absolutely hated it, called their customer service team yeah they said sorry you upgraded in the store so you don't have seven days grace no so they'd said that if you'd done it on the phone and they delivered it to you you would have had seven days grace yes but they didn't say that to me at any point before i actually upgraded right that was not stated oh just if you just put that note, they didn't say that to you uh you went into the store but you phoned them up from the store quite yes so that would surely count as the phone call for the upgrade wouldn't it You'd assume so. 
So, again, so, not happy. Still no. not happy. I then contacted them again on the Monday. Yeah. Two 20-minute conversations later. Yeah. Still nothing. I then emailed yeah. a complaint of which they replied to the email with, okay, very sorry that you're unhappy. You can return the phone. I emailed back, said, okay, fantastic. Packaging, how do I send it back to you? Immediately, they then emailed again saying, sorry, seven days only works if your telephone had been sent to you, Hang not a in second. the store. But they'd sent an email saying you could return the phone. Yes. And now they're saying, oh, ah, oh actually, no, you can't return the phone yeah i even contacted the store that i went into yeah to do the upgrade and again they said probably can't do anything for you but we'll try and call you back they still haven't called me back you've kept that email obviously i have that's got to be your your ace in the pack hasn't it ben you surely if there's an email saying you can return it then oh you might want to put those headphones on so you can hear what ben's saying is it because he speaks a lot of truth Oh, thank you. <laughs> You've built me up quite a bit. <laughs> I know. Um, well, yeah, we'll have to see the email and have a look at it. Yep. Take that to the company and see uh, what's going on there. But if an email states that they're, they're going to do something, then you'd hope that a company would, would fulfil on, on that. However, we'll have to have a look at it and, and check everything. No, I think the seven days grace, because I was looking, up, looking this up, and I think that if you do buy things over the phone, and don't quote me on this, but I think if you do buy things over the phone, whatever it is, you do generally have seven days grace. Yes, it, it's distance selling laws. So if, uh, I, I think if you get some things, for example, if you get it by mail order, so you haven't physically picked it up, had a look at it yourself in the store and, and, and bought it there. So, for example, if you're buying from a catalogue online, things like that, you do have uh, a grace period with which you can, you know, you can return it. Mm. Um, however, but that doesn't apply in stores? That doesn't apply in stores. There are individual company policies that set up, they say, maybe on the back of your receipt, it'll say you have 28 days to have a look at it, return it in a, in a resaleable condition. However, that is down to the discretion of retailers. So um, I've taken things electronic goods back to stores two or three days later on because it wasn't what I wanted. It didn't do what I wanted it to do. Well, as I said, there are there, there are exceptions. There are companies that, that allow it. Um, it's, it's all kind of company policy rather than yeah. a, a law uh, in any sense like that. Uh, what about the fact that, that uh, Rebecca phoned the company from the store? Does that... To, to get the upgrade does that not count towards the the seven days well grace? this this may be where where we're getting into kind of as always these things aren't uh clear you know you have to work out what exactly is going on here so i think with a bit more investigation if we okay. ha- if we have a chat with the mobile phone company yep. see what's going on here um and and we'll go from there i think just to clear up particularly this email I this think is the thing i yeah. think that's yeah rebecca is that okay we'll have a little chat with them later on today um if you can give us that email because i think that is going to be the bit if they have said if what you said is true and they've said okay yeah you you can return it then that surely has to stand up and i think it would be churlish of them to then go actually we didn't mean that that was a mistake that came from the wrong department sure do you trust us with it most certainly rebecca it's lovely to meet you thank you very much ben thank you for your help um okay we're gonna have more of your oh we can have an update in a little bit let me just play this first that's queen and radio gaga this is ian lee if you've just tuned in go whoa whoa hang on a second where is Jonathan Vernon Smith? Well, he's off somewhere sunning himself for the week. Don't panic, dear listener. It's just a week. He will be back uh, next Monday. And then next Monday, I start doing the breakfast for a few weeks, which should uh, should be a lot of fun. But I'm enjoying this this moment. I love, I genuinely love the consumer hour. I think it's one of the greatest bits of radio just going around at the moment. I find it very exciting. I like wrongdoers being outed and things being sorted. If you want us to help you this week, 
with a, a consumer problem, then you can still get in touch. Even though Jonathan's not here, you can get in touch, and either me or Ben will, will look after it, and then I will hand it over to Jonathan next week, so don't worry. Uh, the phone number is 08459... Four double five five double five oh eight four five nine four double five five double five or you can email JVS show at bbc.co.uk and I've got to be honest I'm very impressed with Jonathan's hit rate more often than not he does very well doesn't he he does a, he does an excellent job at sorting things out and he pushes it as far as he can push it and uh, th- th- some sometimes you know th- 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 you, you're not going to get any satisfaction but he pushes it as far as he can and I'm, i hopefully this week i'll be able to do as, as much for you uh, as i can oh eight four five nine four double five five double five if you want to take part uh, in the consumer hour now we've got an update saheed bought a last minute flight to pakistan due to a family emergency he paid uh, nearly £1,100 for the ticket. It was a two-day trip, so on the way back, my flight was cancelled due to poor weather conditions, and so I had to take an alternative flight. I put in for a refund, and after about seven, eight weeks, the manager sent me £46. What did they offer you instead? Did they offer to get you on the next available flight? Which was, yeah, three days after, yeah. But I had to come back the same day, so I took another, t- another airline. Shahid now cannot get hold of the airline to question the £46 refund. Shahid, you're on the line. Good morning, Shahid. Hi, good morning. Let me just remind you, don't say any company names. Whereabouts in Pakistan were you? Um, it's actually uh, Kashmir, uh, but they don't have you know, airports, so it has to be Pakistan. OK, OK. And uh, we've got Ben has been dealing with this. Ben. Yes. What's, just just to recap and tell us exactly where we are with this situation. Well, yes, the, uh, we were coordinating with the, with the travel agent initially on this, because, Sahid, you said um, they'd only offered you uh, £46.10 and 10 pence in terms of uh, a refund. Out of, and the ticket cost £1,100? The, the total ticket, right, in terms okay. of both ways, okay. um, and this involved a stopover, um, so it was... In essence, four flights. Okay, right. Um, now, uh, we've been talking to the travel agent. They said they've done all they can do. Their hands are tied by what they're told by the airline. They suggested we speak to the airline directly, which we did. And in this case, the airline are Turkish Airlines. Now, are you, are you, are you just mentioned a company name there, Ben. Are you sure you know what you're doing? I do, yes. Uh, okay. It's, it's all good. Um, now, Sahid's so, so ticket <laughs> was... Uh, it was only used uh, one way. So from London to Islamabad it's when he was trying to get back right. where the, the, the flight had to be cancelled. Now, they've said that his ticket restriction allows him to receive a refund of £287.50. Oh, hang on. Minus the £46.10, which has already be, been refunded. So the total refund should be given to him of £241.40, which is, which is good news. However, they've told us that this travel agent actually hadn't been in contact with them regarding this problem. They oh. say if they had, every help would have been extended to them. And in this case, it appears they simply refunded the £46.10 uh, pence of unused taxes, and that was all that had been offered in refund thus far. So they actually hadn't had a conversation with the so airline. So the, 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 the travel agent had said that they had spoken to the airline, yep. and the airline went, well, we didn't hear anything from them. Absolutely, yeah. But the airline has, have said, yeah, absolutely, we're going to get on top of this, because obviously um, this needs to be sorted very quickly. Um, as they say, as far as Turkish Airlines is concerned, we are now going to issue uh, what they called an agency credit memo, an ACM, for his ticketing agent. The old ACM, and I that's see, it, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and our centre refund this £241.40 pence to Sahid directly. They've also got in contact with the travel agents and they will contact Sahid very shortly to settle this matter without any more delay. Now, Sahid, have they got in contact with you? Uh, no, they haven't, no. <laughs> 
Ah, right. Well, I think we're going to have to talk to this travel agent and cover a couple of things. One, what's going on with the, with the refund? This needs to be sorted yeah. as soon as possible. But also, why are the airlines saying that they haven't spoken to them? That's, that's, that's the very Why strange. would a company do that, Ben? Is it laziness? Is it they just can't be bothered? They wouldn't be profiting from it, would they, financially? Well, I wouldn't want to speculate at this time. No. I think we need to have a bit okay. more kind of... Uh, Benefit of the doubt, well done. Absolutely. I think we need to go back to the company and just find out what's going on here. Because if they're saying they've spoken to the airline and they actually haven't, then that could be very serious. So mm. we, we need to find out what exactly is going on here. How long ago um, did all this take place, Saeed? Um, what, the flight cancellation yeah. was on the day 30, or actually it's 1st of April, actually. Okay, so it's, it's quite a while. So he should get the money pretty quickly, shouldn't he, Ben? Well, we, we would hope. Uh, in, in terms of that total, um, Saeed, are you happy with, with, with the total there? I mean, in, including the £46.10, that's a refund of £287. Yeah, fifty p as well. But are, are you happy with that refund? Well, I mean, surely. Well, I was thinking of like a halfway range, like about five. Because normally, normally the ticket is to Pakistan return is about five hundred pounds. But because because it was an emergency, I'd pay like mm. double the price, which is eleven. So surely, I, I was thinking of a range of about five or six hundred pounds. But I mean, three hundred pounds. Well, around three hundred pounds is better than forty six. So. Well, okay. I mean, what I can do is I can go back to the airline and say, can we just uh, ask how this this figure was was, was come to? Find out yeah. if if two hundred eighty seven pounds is fair. Obviously, are you questioning that, Sahid? Uh, and, and you know, if you've paid one thousand pounds, then yeah, half of that. Can is- I ask, Sahid? Was the, the ticket was more expensive because you 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 did it r- at short notice? Is that? Um, I think so. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because normally normally a return ticket is about five or six hundred pounds. Right. But um, I did ha- I did have to pay another three hundred and fifty pounds for another ticket from Pakistan to come back to England. So he's out of pocket, Ben. If you, you, I would have sus- thought that that uh, the tough. That, I mean, the fair play. They, the the, uh, the airline have uh, issued a refund, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But yes, it, I think it would be useful if you could find out how that has worked out. I must stress that the airline were very keen to get this sorted. So Brilliant. I'll get back in contact with them, and I'll um, I'll see what we can do. And if you can send me over maybe some of the details of this additional ticket you've got, Sahid, I can put that okay. to them and say, look, this is what it cost him. Wouldn't it be? fair to just meet him at what it cost him to get back home and we'll see what the airlines say Sahid, thank you very much no doubt we'll be speaking to you shortly ben thank you for that um yep there we go we'll get back in touch with the airline but i I think fair play for 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 offering some refund i'm curious to find out what's going on with that travel agent very curious i know how he's a very very nice man and it's a superb act and nick coffer's on at 12 today don't forget that nick coffer will be on uh, at 12 o'clock in the slight little uh, reshuffle that is taking place in terms of the times uh, this is ian lee filling in for uh, jonathan vernon smith now maureen told us that she had ordered some electronic cigarettes to help her cut down on her smoking when i ordered them uh, and they came i found that they charged me for them because unfortunately i gave them my card details which i wish i had now. Yeah, but you'd ordered them, so why wouldn't they charge you for them? Well, they were supposed to be free for 14 days. All they said was they only wanted a penny off my card. So they've taken the money. How much money have they taken from you? Twenty-six ninety. Maureen says that she sent back the cigarettes before the end of the 14-day free trial period as she didn't get on with them. Despite being told that the company were putting in a request for a refund, she's not received her money back. Now, Maureen's on the line. Good morning, Maureen. Oh. Good morning, Ian. You're doing a great job. Uh, thank you very much. I, I, I think I'm, I'm getting by. <laughs> I think I'm just getting by. Now... They actually charged me twice, Ian. I had two charges because they oh, sent me some filters as well. And I'm told by Jonathan that they charge you for them anyway, but he sorted that out as well. OK, so where, where are we? What's it? You were waiting... Um, well, thanks to 
to Jonathan, I got my first sort of money back, and then he tried again, and he's now got me the second lot back. And is the money in your bank account? It is. So you've got it all? I've got it all. Oh, well, that's a success! I was yeah. worried, I was all worried there. <laughs> I'm looking around frantically for Jonathan's horn, but I, I suspect he may have taken it on holiday with him. Oh. Who knows what he gets up to when he's abroad. Well. Oh, that's wonderful, because I've, I've been hearing you phoning in, and I thought, this is ne- this one is never going to get sorted out. But oh. he did it, did he? Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic, because I kept trying, and I, got, I just was, like, getting nowhere, you know. It's, he said they gave him grey hairs for company. Well, it's, 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 I, I, I can't begin to speculate on the condition of, of Jonathan's uh, hair colours. So that's it. It's all sorted and you're completely happy. I'm completely happy and it's put my mind at rest because I was sort of, although I'd written into them, I was still yeah. worried they might take more money from me, you know. So. It's very, can be stressful. Maureen, mm. can I ask, are you still smoking? <laughs> oh, come on, give it up, love. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> give it up. Yeah, well, there you go. Maureen, listen, I, if if, uh, if I had access to the horn, I would be playing it for you now. I don't, I'm afraid, but d- let's just imagine one together, shall we? Yeah, we will, because mm. they, I'm really grateful Brilliant. to Jonathan and the team. You do a wonderful job there. I'm going to send Jonathan an email. When he comes back next week, he's going to mm. play his horn just for you, OK? It's absolutely great, because it was just, you know, you just felt as if you were knocking your head against a brick wall and you were getting frustrated and... He obviously did all the right things. He's good as our Jonathan. Yeah. Maureen, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to hear from you. I'm glad it's a success as well. Uh, now, oh, we've got time for one more, I think. A few months ago, uh, Leisha had a sewage problem in a housing association flat. The toilet was blocked. We've all been there. It's not fun, is it? She tried to sort it out, but had to call uh, the housing association. They sent out a drainage person to come and try and unblock it. He actually made the problem worse, where it started to flow into my bath. Raw sewage coming up into your bath? Yeah, literally other people's sewage, faeces, tissues, you know, the lot. What do you want to happen now? What are you looking for? Well, I just feel that they haven't compensated me. I mean, I've lost all my flooring that I had laid down. I lost out on rugs, my bathroom mat, towels. Oh, my God. Goodness, that sound! What a disgusting story. Leisha's on the line. Good morning, Leisha. Oh no, you're there. Sorry. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm, I'm still getting used to the faders. Uh, <laughs> this it's going to cost a thousand pounds to replace. Yeah, roughly. I've worked out. Oh, enough. Ben, I don't. You have this one. It sounds horrible. I know. I'm, I'm quite glad I wasn't there when all of this it's was happening. This sounds <laughs> awful. Well, um, we've been speaking to a few people on this. We've been coordinating with the Housing Association about what's going on here. But also, I believe, Leisha, you, you told us that you had someone from Environmental Health come out to have a look. So I spoke to the, the, the Borough Council um, to, get, uh, to get a response on this in terms of what they think should, should be done here. And the spokesperson said that Housing Association tenants should report cases where it appears that a sewage leak is caused in part by a blocked drain to the Housing Association for clearance. What they're saying is um, where the Housing Association have a responsibility to clear the blockage, the council advises tenants to put any claim they wish to make in writing to the housing association. Um, so that's what we've heard from the council. Um, so what I think where we need to move forward with this is, Leisha, um, can you total up all of kind of the, 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 the cost of this? Can you outline, so the flooring will cost X, the, the, the ruined, it was, it was rugs and towels, oh, wasn't it? Disgusting. Yeah, I've sent you the email this morning, actually. Fantastic. So you, you sent me over some details in terms of a rundown of what what costs will, will, will be. Yeah, all the rough estimates, yeah. Good. Well, I think what we need to do is we need to get you to write something, uh, a letter to the company to say, um, this is what I've totaled up to be the damage. Well, that's uh, the thing. I actually have already done that. 
Okay. Dean Pilgrim, um, to the Housing Association, sorry. Um, okay, that's fine. Um, well, what we'll do is we'll chase it up with the Housing Association and, um, and and we'll see what we get back from that, okay? Okay, then. Thank you. Leisha, thank you very much for that. It just sounds horrible. How disgusting. Everywhere, mm. all over the... Ben, listen, thank you very much for holding my hand through that's that. Right. I was, I was r- particularly nervous. I'm only here for a week. You've done this. splendidly. I don't want to get sued. Don't worry. I'm not getting paid enough to cover any legal expenses. Uh, listen, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. Nick Coff will be coming up shortly. Uh, oh, let's play a song, shall we? Why not? Let's have... Uh, oh, Christina Perry. Yes, please. On the show tomorrow, unemployment in the UK now stands at 2.65 million, following a decrease of 35,000 in the three months to February 2012. But despite the drop, no one is fool enough to think that it's getting easier. Some bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.